Mama! Mama! We made it! What it, what it, what it do though? Good God Almighty. What it do? What it do? How are you, baby? Feeling good, baby. Ladies Feeling and gentlemen, good. we have such an extra special, not only guest, but vibe this evening. We do. The vibe is we right. We have in the building, first and foremost, my brother Evan Haskell in the building. What's going on? Evan Haskell in the building. Good to be here, fellas. Good to be here. Let me just say this. Evan Haskell is one of the most incredible human beings that I've met. Um, my brother, like when, when I see you, I just think of big brother, mm. to be honest, the poise that the show? you have say what the show, no, the show, oh, no. not, not, no, that's homo sapiens. Okay, you know what I'm saying? But big brother in that <coughs> you are a type of person that truly cares not only about your environment, but everything that comes surrounding it. Mm. You're like that person that go to of a person that the shoulder to lean on quintessentially, mm. you feel what I'm saying? Ladies and gentlemen, Evan, I met through an incredible human being, one of like my favorite human beings on the planet, and her name is Lena Dobrier, and she's in the audience with Lena. us. What it do? <laughs> it's really true when they say that good people propagate, yeah. because there's no way for us to connect with one another outside of really finding people that connect with the ethos that's yeah. within us. And my brother, you're an incredible human being, and I can't wait to dive into your story. But we here, baby. We Man, here we... now. There's no wait with this. <laughs> no. <laughs> Looking forward to it. How's your evening going? It's a beautiful evening, man. You know my Dodgers lost, but they other did. than that. They did. I'm life, literally life's a fan, out of, a World Series fan out of nowhere. I'm over here watching the count, seeing who they're bringing in. By default, baby, <laughs> from L.A. You better believe that. Yeah, L.A. Gotta, is strong support. right now when it comes to our sporting, though. You know, we got LeBron, but, but you know, we are 0-3. For we, sure. We got something to prove. I mean, we got Jared Goff and what, we 7-0? and The seven L.A. Rams? No, you're right. L.A. You sports back, we, we, so, we went somewhere. <laughs> hey, Gur Gurley's dominating. The city is looking beautiful. It's looking bright really for big. us. Always. My brother, I want to start out with this. Are you a native Angelino? Born and raised. Really? Born and raised. Five minutes from the studio. No Stop way. Mulholland and Beverly Glen. Mulholland, Beverly wow. Glen. You know, I should say I was born at Cedars, right? And I grew up uh, actually in Culver City till I was about two. Really? So all I know is, is, you know, the hills and coyotes and silence, you know, living in this big city. So I think that's a big part about, you know, who, who made me, you know, just growing up up there. What was it like uh, growing up there? What was childhood like for you? You know, childhood for me, especially like as a, uh, as a young adult, you know, one of, my, uh, one of my brothers, Dylan Feldman, two years older than me. You what know, he was do? my next door neighbor. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we grew up like hanging out in the hills, the hills of, you know, upper Bel Air. You know, privileged, privileged people, but not like Fresh Prince, but, you know, still like growing up in the hills and, you know, making coyote traps and just being curious kids that were enjoying the outdoors. And I think, you know, living in a, in a concrete city like L.A., just to have the ability to grow up, you know, in the hills and not really being present or understanding what that means mm -hmm. back then. I mean, <clears throat> you know, we were always outside, man, playing basketball, playing in the hills. So that's such an interesting dynamic that actually thinking about the hills and, and for people that haven't been to L.A., 
it's the hills actually don't get the recognition or like um the notice that the city does you think of la yeah. you think of beaches you think of the city you think of mm-hmm. beverly hills but there's the hollywood hills and bel air mm-hmm. and and this mountainous backdrop yeah. that's a huge part of the city that's actually a completely different lifestyle i i grew up here my whole life the, the most time i've spent in the hills is like just going over the studio city on cold mm-hmm. water you know yeah i mean there's a real silence up there you know especially yeah. at night obviously growing up off of beverly glen it's it's busy with cars you know, rush hour and whatnot, but come nightfall, it's, you know, it's literally coyotes and owls. Literally. You know, like, for real. Like, I'm talking, like, packs of 30. Although someone used to tell me, really? like, you know, if it sounds like it's 30, it's really two, but, like, I've, with my own eyes, seen, you know, packs of between six and ten in my neighborhood just walking through, so. Are coyotes, like, my experience with coyotes, have, <laughs> like, I used to be scared, and then somebody told me they're more, like, scared of you than anything, and just to kind of like flex on them i mean look i'm not out there flexing on coyotes yeah i haven't done i haven't done the flex yet we need to call the coyote whisperer i haven't done the flex yet but from your experience i mean my experience i think you know i think it's important to be smart around any wild animal you know especially one that's essentially domesticated by you know what we've built around it but at the same time you know i think uh small dogs uh older coyotes sense vibes oh, it's yeah. an older woman with a small dog and that coyote's hungry Ooh. you know i wouldn't trust it but you know i'm cautious i, I have a dog at my parents house so I, I definitely keep an eye on her for She's sure a little one too they could be really dangerous like what? yeah yeah but but overall no i mean i don't think they're very dangerous mm. don't go up and pet it though let me ask you this as, as you were growing up did you realize it was a privileged home or was it more of just childhood because i feel like a lot of us especially kids in general don't mm-hmm. really know it's like when we're young, don't really know like poverty and 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 um, luxury and types of things like this, and it's more like we're just kids living. Was that ever a factor for you, or was it just like you were a kid, young kid living and like you ended up realizing that it was privilege? I mean, I think it took me a long time to to realize, like really into my almost early to mid twenties, to oh. realize how privileged I was. You know, when you're growing up. You know, you, it's kind of all you know. You yeah. meet people that kind of move all over the, the country or the world. You know, maybe your your father or your mother was in the military. Mm. You know, I had a steady home. And it's really all that I knew. And I definitely didn't appreciate that privilege growing up. But it, it's all I knew. Mm. For sure. You have brothers or sisters? I have two younger brothers. Mm. So yeah. you're the oldest. I'm the oldest. Yeah. And that always, you know, that, that plays a big factor, huh. uh, you know, in, in my story. Just, you know, being an older brother. The guardian, uh, bro. You have to be. You yeah. have to be a role model. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's that's interesting to, because you're only, you don't have brothers sisters. No. Yeah, I'm a middle child. That's interesting though to be a role model like that. Did you? How how what's the age difference between you and your brothers? So it's five years. So okay. my middle brother, his name is Skyler. Okay. He's five years uh, younger than me, and he's uh, about three years out of college. He went mm-hmm. to uh, U of A. And then five years, um, apart from Skyler, so 10 years for me, I have Ryan, who's a, a junior at Indiana. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, really, like, my brothers were my, my greatest gift. Mm. You know, like, I, I, I enjoy being the older brother and, and being able to experience life and live and learn and fail and, and try and guide them, you know, in a way that's uh, brotherly and, you know, allow them to kind of make their own mistakes. But really, like, I've been there. You know, like all the things that my my brothers are, are experiencing right now, they think that, you know, they're the only ones to experience it. But I've been there, For whether sure. I say it or not. 
So uh, it's nice to to be a role model and a you know father like t- type figure for sure to these kids. It, it's really interesting for me when I think about looking back on childhood and just parents and the wisdom or life experience, let's say that they put upon us, and how when we're kids we really kind of brush that off. Like when you think about lessons that try to be taught or advice or just like warnings that parents give mm-hmm. throughout stages in all of our lives we're kind of like really not receptive to them we we, we want to be on our own we want to be independent but yeah. as we grow older we look back on that mm. and we realize 90 percent of what our parents were saying rings true and then we get they've, to been, an, they've been there too. They've been there yeah. too. And then we yeah. get to an age where we're starting to like impart wisdom on the younger generation or like yourself, your younger brothers. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of that position of like, I've been there. I know what I'm right. going through. But the same, did, did you experience that kind of, I guess, I'm trying to look for the word, pushback mm-hmm. from your younger brothers in being that figure that you were and having those age gaps? Like, Naturally, it happens as you get older and we have these like we build our formative thoughts and we kind of build our own view of the world identity and like the lens at which we see it. Mm-hmm. But did you kind of experience that in, in which like imparting your wisdom on your younger brothers? Was that were they receptive to that or was it more of like a battle to kind of just establish that it's not I'm not trying to dominate you, nor am I trying to tell you how to live. But it's more so like I'm just trying to guide you. From where I've been. Mm. Yeah, I mean, well, look, put, put it this way. This is something that I continue to do with, with both my brothers. You know, I'm still here, and this is a process that will be forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I learn from them as well. But, you know, at the same time, I think I've been a pretty good judge of right and wrong. Just yeah. because, you know, your parents tell you not to do something. If I know that, you know, it's not going to put my life in danger if I'm in the right environment to be experimental like any child wants to be, mm-hmm. an adult... Um, then, then I'm going to do it and I might pay the price for it. And with respect to, you know, how my brothers tie into this, I think that it was important for me to earn a level of respect Mm -hmm. uh, from my brothers and, and, and really making sure that they could trust me, you know, and I think that my brothers can trust me, you know, they can tell me things that they probably wouldn't tell my parents. And for that, I feel lucky because, you know, it allows me to keep a a close eye on them as Mm -hmm. somebody who loves them and, you know, feels uh, a responsibility to, you know, help them grow. For sure. Where'd you get that though? Was that instilled by your parents or your father or where in terms you, of, you know, like what? Yeah. Just, just in terms of taking on that role, like, <clears throat> excuse uh-huh. me. It, I mean, it, it probably feels very inherent for you to take that on. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's super important for you. Like we, we've had tons of guests on here that have siblings mm-hmm. and you experience that, but like for that to be a, a kind of a, a through line for you and something really that you hold close did you, did you have, like, where did that come from? I mean, I think it starts from the fact that, like, I don't have a really big family, mm. you know, um, especially on, uh, on my mother's side. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, my, my dad's side is, is, is a big extended family, but he really only has one sister. Mm. And my mom, you know, she has a brother and, and, you know, it's a small family. So when it comes to, you know, my house, it was, it was family first. Mm. And I think, um, because of the way that, you know, my parents raised us, uh, just to know that my brothers would come to me outside of when they would go to mom and dad, I knew that automatically I had a level of trust with them that maybe they didn't have with mom and dad, mm-hmm. you know, it was For sure. parenting, you know, it's just the way that they raised them. But 
I think that it, the, the responsibility, um, obviously grew as I got a little bit older, but I just loved my brothers. Like, yeah, you know, I think sure. it's funny, like when I was in, I guess my youngest brother, my, my mom, um, it was one of my like Christmas gifts, right? She said, you, you know, you're having a baby brother. And wow. I, to this day, you know, that was one of the most powerful moments That's to what? know that wow. like life is coming. And I already have a brother, Skylar, who, uh, you know, he, he, you know, me and Skylar sk- shared a room together. You know, and we would play games like any, you know, siblings would. But just to know that there was another one coming, it was a, a powerful moment. You know, That's incredible. What was, the, what was the home like for you guys, like especially in your youth? Like naturally, you know, as years progressed, you had additions to the family. But like what was, take me into just kind of like your home and how you guys interacted with your parents and what life was like within the home. Yeah. So, I mean, when I was when I was really young and, and I didn't have a middle brother, Skylar, you know, I think I really just followed pops around. You know, he would be out there pushing the lawnmower in the backyard mm. and I was just following my dad. And, uh, you know, he would be in the in the garage hammering and doing crazy stuff. And I was always, you know, intrigued by just the, the manly things that that pops was doing running For the house. Sure. Um, and I, I think, you know, when we when my middle brother, uh, Skylar was born and, and we started kind of growing up. Now I'm around 10 years old, now 12. I don't know, how, how old are we at, at that age? That's like, I'm really bad with that, by the way. No worries. What, what do you mean? Like, like when you're 12, wise? you're in like, like give me a percentage. Yeah, sixth grade. Sixth grade. Sixth grade, yeah. Sixth grade, yeah. So, I mean, you know, we were, uh, we, we shared a room. We, we slept in our little twin beds and we would stay up two hours every night on a school night just you know, playing games like who could get to mom and dad's door, you know, without waking them up, just stuff like that, you know? So, I mean, back to the original question, what, what exactly was that? For it was just more like, how was the, how was the, the home vibe for you? Like, I want to say like interactions with your parents and kind of like what that environment was like. Cause I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like there's a beautiful patriarchy being built within the, the confines of your family. Mm-hmm. And naturally you have to also have a strong mother that holds it together, right? And looking, just seeing you and seeing this type of love for the family unit, respect for how much that means, it has to have come from the home, right? Like, it it blossoms from that because, like, our parents instill in us the values. And then you kind of, like really tagging along with pops and loving that like that element of things when you have a younger brother come along mm-hmm. i feel like naturally it kind of like hits inside your head like now i'm going to be able to show this little one yeah. the, the the ropes well it was like you know he was on my team right yeah. so and you know at the end of the day mom is a uh she i mean my mom loves us so much but like you know there's different types of love right and like she was the type of mother that would enforce that 12 a.m curfew you know so as i got a little bit older maybe i got my license now i'm 16 years old you know that curfew looking back when i raised my kids was semi-dangerous because driving you know that fast on mohan as a 16 year old ain't safe but like you know i wanted to maximize my time with my friends so if it was a 10 minute drive to get home, like I was making that in two. So like I put myself in risk and you know, that's just who I, you know, who 16 year olds for the most part are yeah. sure. it's dangerous. Um, but you know, me and my brothers, we, we were all in the same team and you know, um, it's just, you always got to learn from your parents, right? For sure. In terms of parenting and how we're going to raise our own children. Yeah. Um, it was a different type of love. A lot of phone calls, a lot of texts till this day. And, and, and I understand that now. For Back sure. in the day when you're young, it's annoying. You don't appreciate that. Yeah, you don't exactly. even appreciate it, but, it, but it's annoying. For you know? sure it is. And, and 
I feel bad, but like we're Absolutely. kids, we were supposed to know. I mean, Absolutely, you don't know any better. Yeah. What type of kid were you? Did you like school, like athletics, art, like like especially in your like elementary years? I want to say. I never really liked school. Okay. I liked the social elements of school. Mm. I loved my friends. I was always the class clown. You know, that was my identity really oh, really high school. Um, I remember like my fifth grade class. It was just like the most legendary fifth grade class of all time. <laughs> you know, like when we read that roster on the first day of school, it was I like, feel, man, I love about reading to, those. It's about to go down. Yeah. You know, and like everyone that, that I'm still, I'm still very close friends with a lot of those people. If you talk about that fifth grade class, everyone knows it was lit. It was a good time. Elaborate. Great fifth grade year. Delvin, bro. We're talking about like you know people that I've gone from kindergarten now to fifth grade. This is our last year of public uh, elementary school, and to know that we were all in the same class, you know, being the social kid that I was, yeah, it was just fun for me. You know, like I, I was never really a good student, um, even through high school, but at least elementary years, um, you know. It was, it was always about the social life for me. For sure. Mm-hmm. Were, did you uh, ever play sports? Did you, were you into like the arts? <clears throat> was there anything else that was uh, driving you or pulling you? Huge athlete. And oh, I mean, okay. I think that that's something that's still part of my identity. I, I love sports. Um, I played soccer, baseball, mm-hmm. basketball. I think baseball was really my sport. Um, number one, because my dad's a huge Dodger fan. So he raised me on baseball. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was my coach of all my teams. Yeah. You know, I played wow. over here at Chevy at Hills. AYSO, you know, turkey tournaments and yeah, yeah. all-star teams. And I was the MVP of my baseball team. Um, you know, athletics was always, aside from the social element of school, was mm-hmm. why I really enjoyed, uh, you know, elementary school, junior high and high school. I mean, it was, it was all about the sports. and For sure. Um, it yeah. really helps in developing your identity, too. It does. And I mean, I think I have a competitive nature um, because of, you know, you're talking about the 10,000 hour rule, like I've played more than 10,000 hours of sports and, and, you know, that competitive side, um, is not only on that, on the athletic aspect, but Mm -hmm. you know, in life, like I'm a competitive person and sometimes I need to hold that back in social situations. That's actually an interesting thing. Just, uh, in looking at sports like that, um, of putting in your 10,000 hours of competitiveness, Mm -hmm. Mm. I've actually like never heard that perspective before. Yeah. I mean, I never, uh, I never was good enough to, you know, make it. I, I don't think I really had the work ethic, you know, like kind of moving through junior high and high school. Like I was a, a really good baseball player. Mm-hmm. Like I'm talking scouts, you know, at my high school games, being a, a freshman on varsity. So, but the, the reality is, is that I just never had the work ethic. I didn't want it. I didn't even know that it was feasible. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that becoming a professional athlete, I guess at that time was like, feasible if you work hard but frankly I just don't think that I wanted it I was too into my social life like my biggest regret of high school was not playing football mm. right like I got a I'm a big dude I'm a quarterback I could throw a football I'm a wide receiver whatever but I never played mm. and it was really because football was that one sport that you would have to show up at like some you know summer sure. practices yeah two days I just in the morning after yeah, school wasn't with yeah it. man you for know? sure so it, it is a regret I mean Looking back, I, I cannot play Pop Warner football anymore, whatever you call it, you know, tackle football. I yeah. can't do that. That's something that I'll never have the opportunity to, to do again. I mean, and I don't regret very much, mm-hmm. but, you know, when you're talking about things that are truly once in a lifetime, putting on a helmet and, you know, playing tackle football, that is a once in a lifetime opportunity. I'm for sure. sure. That. I can't even touch my knees right now. It's like. Not trying to go. Your not trying to get tackled yeah. right now. You know? <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I, I feel that though. Like, 
I think high school and high school sports is is more than it's weird. You have the kids that are like you know they're going to play college and probably go to pro, like just the man childs that like show up on yeah. your team freshman year. They're like six four, two thirty. You're like, yeah. how are you fourteen years old, bro? And but for the rest of us, it's just more of like that experience you're talking about. And do you think like when you say you weren't a hard worker, was was that just in general or are you relating that to like the professional like status versus, I mean, it sounds like you were a really good player and, and you, you had, um, you know, your competitiveness probably yeah. drove you to, to still excel. Cause like, I want to identify a lot, of, a lot of, of times we, we talk about just work ethic in general sure. and what that really means. Mm-hmm. I mean, for you, what is, how do you identify work ethic? So, I mean, you know, number one, the, 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 the role model in my life that has a stronger work ethic than really anyone that I know is my dad. So when I talk about, you know, working hard as it relates to sports, I'm talking about what I know hard work to be today as a 29 year old. Mm -hmm. Back then, sure, I was showing up to practice, you know, Mm -hmm. I was running my lines like everybody else, but that's not hard work. No, that's not how you become great at anyone. Everyone's doing that anyway on my team. Mm -hmm. You know, so I guess I just uh, I didn't know what hard work was back then. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't really have the vision to want to go pro. If if I wanted to go pro. It was never brought down to you by your dad of like, son, being that he was the coach of a lot of your teams, like, son, get after it, like, put the hammer down. Looking back, I mean, I don't think my dad and I ever even had conversations, despite the fact that he was, you know, always my coach and, and always training me. But it was like, for what? We never talked about the idea that I could really go pro God, one day. Like, sure. you know, I believe that that is a feasible, if that's what you want, you know, you see a lot of parents kind of taking mm-hmm. their kids and mm-hmm. trying to mold them to be a pro athlete. Prophecy type yeah, scenario. I mean, but look, at the end of the day, if my dad was that type of father figure, and this is why I, looking back, appreciate him, he never forced me to do anything. That's, That's beautiful. You know what I mean? And had he wanted me to work harder, you know, he probably would have raised me differently, but this is this is why my dad is who he is. For and sure. He's a great man for it, and I don't regret anything. Mm. Were you able to openly communicate with your parents as as you kind of like became that vessel for your brothers? Did you have that with your parents as well? I didn't. No. I didn't. You know, I think uh, my, my parents were relatively strict. You know, they have a definition of success. Um, they, yeah, I mean, I think that the, as I've gotten older, it's a lot easier to, to tell them, you know, the things that I did back in junior high and high school. But, yeah. you know, the, the, the line of communication back then was always blurred. You know, I never wanted them to know the reality because I was, maybe fearful of sort of their response. Mm. Um, so I had to do what I did and learn on my own. Got it. How do you think that affected you kind of like in your like teenage years? Mm-hmm. Was it, a, a, was it always a fight for you to kind of just like be able to throw a guys out or what we like to call in this day and age, the finesse out, mm-hmm. right? Was it, did it kind of like weigh on you or was it just something of like normal childhood? Like, let's just go through the motions. I mean, I think that it allowed me to uh, to make conscious decisions of when I would discuss certain things with my parents and when I would just take my own path. Mm. Um, like I said, I, I've always been a relatively good judge of right and wrong. You know, I'm never going to to make decisions that would put my life in danger. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're talking about the experimental stage of high school with drugs and parties and everything that comes with it, I yeah. mean, you know, I was uh, experimental, no doubt, but. Uh, those types of things, it's just, it wouldn't come to my parents. It's just, gotcha. that's not the, for sure. It's not where the parents came. We from had to that. shield them from themselves there. 
It wasn't yeah, shielded I mean, from us, but it was just shielded from themselves. You know, even even grade wise, like you know, in high school, the reality is I was like a two point three student. Guy. Really, wow. I didn't stop playing. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I, I was probably the worst student academically in my small high school. Why was really? That? Why? Because I mean, number one, so I went to to you know public school until sixth grade. Where, where'd, you, where'd you go to school? So I went to a, a small uh, public school called Warner Avenue. Oh yeah, and then, uh, yeah, is right it in like Westwood. Right here? Yeah, right in Westwood. Yeah. And then, you know, there was a gap year because private schools in L.A., they start at, like, seventh grade. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's a crazy process, man. you got to do interviews, take tests. Like, so I applied to, like, four private schools, but I didn't even know what a pri- – I was too young. Sure. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. My parents yeah. were just pushing me there, like, crossroads and yeah. when or whatever. So I was doing these, you know, sitting here in interviews, like, not having read a book. And I'm just like, yeah, like – I read Harry Potter. It was great. Book, you know, like, but look, I got into to one out of four schools. And, uh, you know, I, I know from going from a school like Paul Revere, which was a, a charter school, like that was the first year of my life where like I really got exposed to like the real public school life here in L.A. Mm. You know, like a mix of inner city school uh, or inner city kids. We had fights like every single week. Yeah. You know, gang stuff, drugs. Like, it was real. And, and Dylan was still one of my closest friends. He was the eighth grader. I was the sixth grader. So, like, I had a pass. I was hanging out with only eighth graders. Everyone was older than me. Mm. But, like, looking back, even just Dylan, he's a role model in my life. Because I always looked up to Dylan. Like, Dylan, you know, everything that Dylan was doing, right, in two years, I would be doing it. Mm. And this just was a trend that continued on. Mm. Um and I taught him how to cook. He's a chef right now. He's a boss. But I, t- I love taught him it. how to make a quesadilla. Mm. He'll I put that on record. <laughs> but you ignited the seed. It's, it's a fact, man. But, uh, you know, I still look up to Dylan. And like I said, he was my next door neighbor. But I think moving from an L.A. public school into Campbell Hall, which is a pretty rigorous private school. Yeah. Um, that was a crazy transition, you know, because now it was like, all right, you're, you're wearing a uniform Monday through Thursday of every week. Yeah. The academic curriculum is, you know, is, is a whole nother level. Stringent sure. as fuck, yeah. I bet. It's, it's, it was tough. It was tough. The amount of work that was, I mean, I got suspended my first week of getting to Campbell Hall For because what? I had a test. I had a test and I just decided that I wasn't going to take that test. I wasn't going to go to study hall. <laughs> so like, you know, of course, like the principal or whatever walks in the study hall, like, Evan, what are you doing? I was like, uh, uh, I don't know. I'm just in study hall, right? Like I didn't really <laughs> have an studying. excuse, but like we used to ditch class in sixth grade. That's yeah. just what we did. We used to go off campus. There was no enforcement. Mm. And now I'm at this, this private school and they're like, look, you can't do that. <laughs> you know, I made up every excuse in the book, but like adjusting to that, you know, environment was, was difficult for me. Did you um, lash out because of that? Like, did you kind of feel like it, it was unnecessary? What was going through your head? I felt different because, you know, my middle school days, Lena was at Paul Revere. Like, it was just a different, it, it was a very different environment, not just academically, but even socially. Socially, for the sure. The music that we listened to. Like, I came in wearing, like, triple XL white tees because I grew up on Eminem. Mm, and I show you. up at this little, you know, rich private school. Mind you, my parents are, to this day, still working like we were at, at least when you look at that school at the bottom of the total pool and told in terms of wealth mm. so like i came here dressed like you know a young m&m and like i wasn't exactly fitting in you know what i mean like it was it might have been a white polo but it was, it was a white polo so it, it was it was tough to adjust and you know and like name calling and, and what was that culture shock for you 
Like, what was it like dealing with that? Like, I get it. To be honest, like, I was you. Like, I'm over here in, like, the, the platinum fool woos. Like, coming from... Yeah. I literally came from uh, junior high in Woodland Hills. Yeah. Went to Orange County. I'm over here wearing platinum fubu, outcast, vocal. Like, yeah. bro, why are you trying to be black? And blah, 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 blah. Right, and right. blah, 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 blah. What was that like dealing with that? Yeah, I mean, it was difficult, honestly, because it was like, who are these people? You know, like I had to make new friends. I didn't go to Campbell Hall knowing anybody except for my cousin who was like five years older than me. So I'm not hanging out with her. And a lot of those kids like went up through private schools. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is their born and raised. Like I grew up, you know, it was just it was a different environment and it was a culture shock. And it was almost like, you know, I had to reinvent myself there. Mm. Right. So like that's obviously where I pulled the humor out of the bag. But like, look, like sixth grade. I wonder if Lena remembers this. My my nickname was Mullet Man. Mullet Man. I had a fat mullet. Stop Did you have a mullet? Playing. I had a mullet, bro. Like, oh, I, because, no, 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 no. It'll, it'll never I, I, be I wanna, there. I want to imagine this mullet, bro. <laughs> wow. Stop. Was it like Joe Dirt? Just It was Joe Dirt. But, like, the thing is, is that I didn't have the money to go get my own haircut. My mom always wanted a girl. So she has three boys and she would just grow out her hair. Stop but then it was like rebel stage, right bro. when I hit middle school. You know? Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. This. I'm not getting called I Mullet Man. That. I had to cut that identity real quick. Literally, you know? like, oh. cut that. Literally cut that off. Literally cut that identity right off. So the the, the transition was was a little. Did you realize that it was like you had the mullet? I embraced that, bro. I embraced it. It's all good. Like it got love. I didn't get girls, but it got love. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, good times. Incredible. Yeah. Did you feel like that? Like, talk to me about that adjustment, because I feel like, and, and especially like in that like sixth. Through, I want to say ninth, tenth grade, like those are very formative years, Big right? Time, bro. And to be thrown yeah. into an environment where you're just outside of your comfort zone, it's really like kill or be killed, mm-hmm. right? Like, and and especially going into an environment where you have far more freedoms and it's far more like diverse, and then you kind of run into like a proper scenario, especially from somebody that's way more focused on the social element than they are on the school. Right. I'm sure in your parents' mind, they're like, all right, yeah. we're going to send them to a great private school. We're going to get them the greatest education. But in your mind, you're like, bro, like, I'm in Pleasantville. What the fuck's going on? I mean, look, it's something that took years of adjusting. I forged many slips in my uh, junior high days. <laughs> I got my dad's signature down to a science. <laughs> and I got caught on like the 30th try. <laughs> I feel you. But, uh, no, I mean, I think that uh, I turned to the only thing that I knew, and that was just my social skills. So, like, mm-hmm. I started to uh, align myself with good people, um, you know, became friends with uh, the other jocks, and, you know, I just kind of latched onto that. I was never, you know, it, it's, as we'll find out a little bit later, you know, through my college years, I, I never really, I, I was always capable. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think that I'm pretty book smart if I want to be. Anyone can be book smart. You just sit down and read the books and put in the time. But I never wanted to put in the time. A lot of it was because of my social life. I wanted to go home and, you know, skateboard on the block with my people um, or play basketball. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just I made good friends. And, you know, again, I started to kind of reinvent myself uh, as everybody does. For sure. Going through school. Did you ever have anything like that you wanted to be when you grew up? Just that that thing that all kids have. Like, what yeah. do you want to be when you? Did you have like an aspiration or something that you saw yourself as, or something yeah. that was driving you? So I mean, like going back to the you know the days growing up in Culver City when I was 
two years old with mm. my dad. You know, he was pushing around on that lawnmower. I, w- I want to be a gardener. You know, I, mean? wow. I want to be a gardener. Like the way that he took care of that lawn, that that pride that I saw, you know, in yeah. trimming whatever the tree. Like, I, w- I want to be a gardener. But then, like, you know, the, the garbage man, like, would drive by, and he was a legend. He drove this big truck. This <laughs> ain't a lawnmower. Shout out so, to like, the legend. Then I wanted to be a garbage me? man. Like, like when, I was, when I was young, I would jump out of bed at 6 a.m. to go look at the, the garbage truck outside Stop of my window. Stop playing. I mean, I love it. That's incredible. I love that. I like big that. trucks. Man. Yeah, I like big that's trucks. incredible. <laughs> but, you know, as I got a little bit older, right after the garbage man stage, it was, it was a firefighter. And that's, that's something that's interesting because like till this day, when I see a fire truck driving down, you know, Wilshire Boulevard or wherever I may be, Mm. like that's something that sticks, you Mm. know, like a lot of people say, Oh, like, you know, what was your childhood dream of what did you want to be like? I always wanted to be a firefighter growing up. And like, there's still a part of me to this day that still feels like maybe that was my calling, Mm. but on the flip side, I don't think that it's too late. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised knowing who I am mm-hmm. if at one point I join the reserves or go and pursue that because I can. And I, so I can be anything, dude. you know, that I want to be. I've chosen my path right now, but but definitely a firefighter. I love fire trucks, respect, you know, firefighters, and it was always a cool job. Bro, that's, that's incredible. Wow, that's Because yeah. that's literally the thing you think of, like, as a kid, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? You say, like, a firefighter. Sure. It's one of those, like, and we just haven't heard that something like that on this on this podcast. It's, it's always been, um, like, whether it's a musician or, or, mm. or an artist or a firefighter is just, like... Sure. I feel so. I feel every kid goes through their life wanting to be that from a, from a strictly from a purely like child's mind perspective. For real, the firefighter yeah. fits. Right. Outside of that, you start getting like the doctors, lawyers, all that. But that's like where the parental influence is coming in. And so, yeah. like, but the firefighter is one of those like quintessentially like as a kid, you're just like, wow, that's a hero, dude. Is exactly. A hero. Man, like I that's had, a legend. Yeah, I had sure. all these fire trucks like um, growing up. I remember I had an entire collection, and it's like that's it, it's it's so interesting that you say that, man. Um, it's just a, a unique perspective that like mm-hmm. we, we just haven't heard yet. And I still respect these people. I mean, there was like For a real, car, yeah. you know, on my street the other day on on fire, and like I walked up to the fire, and like these firefighters, you know, they were going up to a burning car. I'm thinking like, damn, the gas tank might explode. This doesn't look real. Hmm. You know, like this is, this, sorry, this doesn't look safe. So I asked the firefighter, I was like, how do you guys know that that gas tank's not about to blow? Like these guys had their face in the engine. He's like, no, nah, the gas tank doesn't explode. <laughs> That's just a myth. Wow. So like oh, wow. I'm learning from them. And like I appreciate that knowledge. For sure. And one day, like I said, maybe maybe that'll be me. I love that. As you were getting, um, you know, from high school, and as college is approaching, um, I always feel that like that's like a very interesting time, you know, for a kid because um, things kind of get serious. Like you start taking the SATs or um, you start thinking about like your friends are applying to schools. You have to kind of think about, OK, what school am I going to? And you have to make these decisions, real decisions that are going to affect your future. Where was your mind at during that time as you're starting to think about your college and, and kind of the person you want to be? You know, back then, um, I knew I was in a bad position, like because just because your your grade, point. yeah, my grades were horrible. Like I I would ditch basketball practice 
mom and dad are listening, but I would ditch back, and they, they know. Yeah. I would go home and steal the report card out of the mail mm. before mom and dad got home so that I could buy myself another two weeks. Wow. Like, my grades were not good. I was not a good student. And mind you, I loved high school. I would mm. press the button right now to go back. Because high school, was, high school was the day, the days, man. Like the the partying. Sure, uh, it's freedom too, bro. It's straight freedom, no responsibilities. Yeah. Grade wise, you know, it became real uh, about my senior year because, you know, when you go to a private school like that, a lot of these kids are getting admitted to to great schools. And you know, my friends are getting into NYU and U of A and Oregon and yeah, big schools. You know, like they're about to, to really ride out this college experience. So. You know, I, I went and visited a few schools with my pops, um, but I, you know, I didn't really have many options. Mm. Um, and, and I knew like kind of junior or sorry, senior year, second semester, while everyone was getting these acceptance letters, I'm sitting here like I haven't gotten one. Wow. I got declined from, you know, U of A and, and you know, the wow. rumor is everyone gets into U of A. Shit, my grandfather's a donor at U of A. I still didn't get in. So I knew it was bad. <laughs> I wasn't really nervous and I, and I never really get nervous. Mm. You know, I don't really fear very much. I, I always had a, a plan, you know, I was like, and, and I still believe that mm. you do whatever you want. There's, there's non-traditional routes to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely a nerve wracking time for me. Interesting. Well, so what was the, what was the outcome? So the outcome was, is that I was going to try and rely on my baseball career, right. Mm. And make that part of my identity. And mind you, when I was a junior in high school, that's when my baseball career took a little turn. Mm-hmm. I had a, a snowboarding accident um, in front of my brother, actually. What happened? I was, on a, I was up in Mammoth Mountain, and I, I rode this rail that was probably 15 feet. It was like, you know, I was crazy back then. I would do anything. And the second time, you know, that I did it, I wanted to pick up a little bit more speed. Because at the end of that rail, the first time, I kind of just dropped off. Mm-hmm. But I wanted some more speed. So I did it for my brother. Off. Yeah, I wanted to fly off. Yeah. Fly off. You know, you so, wanted the camera that you weren't like holding to, to like get some fly video though. I was yeah, I was trying to I was I trying to you. do it for the, the gram. Outtakes. For the gram that wasn't existing back then. Do it for that. the gram yeah. fifteen years ago. For, yeah. for that iPhone in the too. Future. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, it's probably like a Nokia back Motorola Razor like Motorola Razor. Like a Blackberry <laughs> camera. Yeah. But yeah, no, that, that second time man, I, I just fell off, man, and, and basically busted both my rotator cuffs. Oh, so, you know, my baseball career kind of changed that day because I was always good enough to get by, yeah. but I was hurting deep down. And the type of person that I was, I didn't want to go get an MRI or go get any, you know, uh, I didn't want to go to physical therapy or anything. I just wanted to play through the pain. Yeah. You know, I didn't. I Why? Guess, I don't know, man. I, I really don't know. Looking back, I, I just, I don't know. I really don't know. I just, a wanted, pride I thing. just, it was a pride thing. You know, I didn't want to. I was always taught to just fight through pain, you know, mm. and not really show that. It was part of like, you know, who I was. Like the people around me knew that I was hurting, but I didn't show it on my face. If I'm hurting right now, I don't exactly show it. Mm. Which, you know, is not necessarily a good thing, um, especially if you're talking about, you know, mental health or something. But from a physical level, you know, my identity was to just go out there. I was a pitcher and get that person out play through the pain and don't be a baby about it. It's a grit. Yeah. So, I mean, look, mm. I didn't have the options, but, but back to the question, I was really just focused on kind of leveraging that. And I went to go play baseball at a school up in San Jose called San Jose state. Yep. That's why um, my mom went there. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. crazy. Spartans. Yeah. For mm. sure. Yeah. But I mean, you know, even there, I mean, this is D one, D one baseball. Yeah. I mean, man. you know, I played with some good baseball players, but like everyone at the D one level, 
takes this shit real seriously. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't really fit in and I wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough. So that's sort of when I was faced with my first dilemma. It was like, do I sit four years of playing baseball on a team that I don't really like the coach? I'm not really that good. I don't like waking up at 6 a.m. and hitting the gym. Or do I change my life right now and focus on getting straight A's and transfer out of there? Wow. Because there was a way, right? People go to city colleges, whatever. There is a way. You, tra- you, you take the classes. You find the credits that are necessary to transfer. You get out of there. So I think it was a quick decision for me. You know, a lot of that was driven by the fact that when I got to San Jose State, it was like going back to public school again. Nothing wrong with public school, but like I wasn't into the vibe of San Jose. For sure. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I was miserable that first year of school. But I you also knew it was do or die on you to change the course of your life at that point. This was my time. This, this, was, a, this was a do or die Very time. Very pivotal moment. This is a pivotal moment in my life. It was uh, <clears throat> definitely the biggest uh, challenge but not for one minute. I, I knew exactly where I was going and I was going to get into every single school that I applied to and I was going to get straight A's for the first time in my life and I had to learn to really love to learn. For sure. You know, I had to learn to pick up that textbook for the first time in my entire life you know, and really appreciate what I was learning and, and go ace that test. If you can look back on that moment, because I feel like that's a very pivotal moment, right? From, from the kid that has has always had all of the natural talents from the kid that was able to turn any situation just into one that that could potentially blossom, right? And relied on your natural abilities but did not put effort into your natural abilities. They just existed. That moment in and of itself, like especially college, because that's like transition from young adulthood into real life. Like there's no, there's really no other like four years that could make that shift Mm -hmm. and the fact that it happened then i think is very critical when thinking about your story right the the, the person that could have been the story of i could have had it all to finally taking on the burden of self can you kind of take us into that moment for you of like what made you kind of get to the point of being like look I need to get out of here first. Mm -hmm. And also, I'm going to start giving all of the effort that I know I never gave because I want to make this moment different. Yeah. No doubt. I mean, and different for who at that point? Because, like, high school, it was like the social scene. Mm -hmm. Were you thinking, like, okay, this is my life that I'm talking about Mm -hmm. here? This, these next moves really will play a role in where I go as a man? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely the first time in my life that, like, I really thought about what is life after school. Mm. Crazy. You know, it was like a decision that I had to make. Was it baseball or is it business? Mm. You know, I wanted to go get a business degree. I didn't really think too far ahead of that, but at least, you know, now I'm thinking about school. I've never thought about school. For sure. But, you know, I was also high for 12 years, living it up, the social life, the sports, everything, like no worries. Everything was good. It was it was a it was a great K through 12 experience. You know, this is the first year that I'm in school and I'm not really happy with where I'm at. Mm. You know, I need to change this environment. And I found my path of how I can do that. You know, I, I called the counselors at USC. Um, I figured out what classes I needed to take. And I didn't have a lot of time when you put me under you know, pressure, I'm going to perform. So I had, you know, a few weeks to set up the foundation for what needed to be done in one year of school. And I made sure there was just, it was, it was do or die. 
at all costs. I had to get straight A's. I had to meet with my teachers at lunch. I had to do all the things that I knew I was capable of. And, mm-hmm. I, and I really learned to love that process. Like getting an A back on a test was a feeling that I had never experienced in my entire life. Wow. And now suddenly I'm getting A's on papers and teachers are loving me. I feel good. That's feel crazy. Good. And I learned to, to enjoy learning. I never enjoyed learning, really. You know, I hated history sure. and, and arts and all the things that we had to deal with. But it, Let me ask you this, just like sidebar. Looking back on it, was there any reason that you hated, you never enjoyed learning? Or was it just that it took away from social time? I was more more interested, you know, in messing with, you know, my homie across the, the room. Yeah. You know, in, in six in every year of my For sure. high school, whatever. For I was sure. just I was the class clown. That was my identity. Absolutely. I didn't care what the teacher was talking about. I had no interest at all. Yeah. <laughs> really. It's not that there was anything inhibiting you. It was just that it, was it, just an interest. it, it didn't have value. Because nothing you know? was motivating it. Yeah. yeah. At the time, it, it had no value. I, it wasn't that I wasn't... I always knew deep down I was capable, but I didn't want to. For sure. And it's like, you know, it was funny because in that year where I had that do or die moment of, you know, baseball or business, you know, I'm going to get out of here. I can't be here for four years. I was miserable. Like, my weekends were, were, were boring. Yeah. You know, it was just like... Like I said, it, it was... It was it's just crazy a real the, moment the, in my lo- life. the luxury of want turns into a necessity. It was a necessity. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's crazy, actually, too, like how... You know, you think happiness guides you, right? It's actually unhappiness guides you. For sure. So, you know, and, you know, it, it's, I'm, I'm just so interested when people, like you were saying, Noosh, when people come to that point where they have to make a change and how long do you endure the unhappiness until you get to that point? Like, what's, what are you going through? Are you saying like, yeah. well, I'm unhappy, but, you know, at least I'm in college and I'll just ride this out and I'll just tough it out. Yeah. What, what drives you? to actually make that shift because that shift one nothing's guaranteed even if you could try you could get all a's you could do all those things and still things can't go your way right it's it's still a risk Mm -hmm. and that's also jumping into an unknown Mm -hmm. you know and saying i need to make a change that's not that change isn't guaranteed gonna give you the path you want either right and i feel like there's been so many times in my life and, and people i know where it can just be easier to stay kind of in your current environment just because that's a, even though it's bad, at least you know what to expect. Mm-hmm. I mean, not for one minute did I ever think that this plan wasn't going to work, mm. you know, like, and, and frankly, although I was relatively bored, yeah. you know, I mean, I made some great friends. And there, that was and a fucking blessing. It was a blessing. Yeah, because I was that spending was my weekends like studying. Blessing, like I got to get out of here every mm. day. It was like looking in the mirror, like get the fuck out of here. Get yeah, out. yeah get I can't out. do this. I'm not doing this for more than a year at all costs. Um, but you know, I really found fulfillment in proving to myself that I was capable. The process, yeah, yeah. the process. I love the process to this day, and every, anything that I do, I the process is what it's all about. Yeah, you man, know? for so, sure. You know, I knew where I was going, and I, and I executed flawlessly. I love that. And, and to be honest, like I'm, I actually look back at your story, like just look back at this moment and it was a fucking blessing for real. There was no way that you could finesse a good time or a quality of living <laughs> where you were at, no. because had you been able to, it would have just been the same trip. Totally. Had you got into the U of A or Arizona state, like it would have been like, all right, cool. We made it in here. Let's right. party. And what's, what's interesting too is like you're also playing baseball though. Something you've actually your whole life you've loved and been I, good I, I at. I did quit early on. Like the first like two weeks of school is really when I made the decision where uh-huh. 
I'm not playing baseball. You know, I'm going to go and, and focus on my academics and get out of here. Which is wild because, like, if you look, quote unquote, like historically, what you've done and what brought you that, like, you were great, you know, at playing baseball. Mm-hmm. You went there, you played baseball. Mm-hmm. People could argue, yo, why not take that same effort that you put towards academics and put it towards baseball, something that's already in your wheelhouse, mm-hmm. versus. It's a good question. Going straight to academics, which you've historically just never true, was really good at. True. I mean, frankly, you know, going back to what, what Noosh was saying is like the fact that I did injure my arm junior year. Yeah. I knew that like I wasn't going pro. I, I, I faced that oh, reality. You, oh, wow. You know? So like that sort of helped guide the decision wow. to focus on the academics. Interesting. And, you know, apply to business school. So wow. I think I applied to, you know, four schools, LMU, USC, San Diego, and, you know, one other. And, uh, you know, getting those, those letters of acceptance, mind you, I, I, you know, my, my report card, that was something that, although I spent years of my life hiding them from my parents, it was literally a, a Christmas gift oh my one year to them. God. Um, and, and they were so proud, you know, like having your parents be proud of you academically when for 12 years of your life. <sighs> You know, they, they've never yeah. been, been happy in that, that sense. Um, it made me feel really good. It made me feel really good. Making mom and dad, dad proud is, is, is a great feeling. Did that change your identity? Just your relationship with the academic world? I think that it changed the, the relationship with myself, mm-hmm. you know, because it was the first time in my life that, like, I proved to me that I could do anything that I want. Mm. And not only could I do anything that I want, you know, there is not one path to any place that you want to go. There's many, you know, I'm, I'm till this day, I, I'm all about non-traditional paths mm-hmm. and everyone that I mentor or advise my brothers, there's not one path. Take yeah. the non-traditional path because it's quicker and you'll learn more. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, um, that, that's such a special thing to embrace. But when you think about like, not being academically just just using that as the example um just not doing well academically for that long can become a part of your identity that's why i kind of asked the question because it's like it's so easy for sometimes it's easier to be self-defeating and just be like oh, i've never been good at that i'm never going to be good at that why why even try why even shift why you know it definitely was part of my identity. Yeah, but you, honestly, like for me personally, it was all good. Like, so what? I get I, I also feel like for you though, it it wasn't necessarily like a, I'm not good at this. It's just like I didn't give a fuck about it. And I'm, yeah, 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 I knew I was capable of it. There's like, a difference was, there because like with the I don't give a fuck about no, it. No, for the sure. That you do were capable. Yeah. yeah. Right. And it's actually so wild to me how fortunate you are. In that your life experiences led you to deciding upon your own that you did not want to be mediocre as fuck anymore. Yeah. Your choices, like it's crazy that like the divine intervention or whatever the fuck it was, that life kind of led you to a path of shit, I'm in mediocre as fuckville. Yeah. I look around and I'm like, whoa, I don't like this. This isn't me. I'm yeah. so much better than this. Like you had that <laughs> yeah. moment 
that you were like, I need to step up on yeah. all calibers, and I now I'm, I'm. You started thinking right. about what you wanted, did yeah. you not? Hundred percent, and Crazy. you know the, the life put me there. But yeah. I think the reality is, is I'm not unique. I think that if if you listen to life, you know this goes for everybody. For sure, this happens to us all. For sure, and it'll continue to. But know? the crazy thing is, is that it, that whether that reckoning or listening to life all comes to us at different moments. Mm-hmm. Like, what's to stop us from ha- having that happen? Like in the beginning of high school, yeah. or knowing that, like having that moment where we know we're really good at baseball, right? If we actually had a work ethic instead of just like being there, right. it could be something. Like the moment that we realize, poss- again, possibility. Possibility. Like yep. I, I really think that's the, that's the key driver here is understanding possibility and what that brings, right? You reached a moment where in that time of life, the social life and all of the trappings for that, like weren't as powerful because they're not there if you're not of of status. Mm-hmm. If you step up into the real world and you're a dud, what the fuck social life are you going to have? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it was also the first time in my life that I had a moment to realize that I'm the reason that I'm in this miserable place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? My parents sent me to Warner. They sent me to Parview and sure. they sent me to high school. I didn't have a choice. Yeah. But like I'm the I chose this school because That's it was my incredible revelation, option. bro. Yeah. You know, in realizing that from this moment on I have the power to take my life wherever I want. I could go to any school. I knew that if I just hit this, I will get into any school. So, you know, like That's I was, power, bro. Yeah, it was it was a good feeling. So um where'd you end up going? So I ended up transferring to uh University of Southern California. Incredible and, uh, fight yeah, on Trojan. All fight Trojans on. at the table. It's funny because I grew up a UCLA fan. I grew up five minutes from UCLA. So yeah, I, can't, just, I can't say hard the same. To, yeah, fuck uh, both of y'all. Yeah, I mean, I'm not like diehard, but I guess when I I'm old you. and I have nothing else to do, I'll <laughs> going to football games. I feel you. But uh, yeah, no, I chose USC. I got into Marshall School of Business and uh, I did a minor in entrepreneurship. And that was three years where it all kind of shifted back to the social life. Uh, college was crazy. I feel college you. Was crazy. It was, uh, to be honest, I don't have a lot of memories from it. Wow. Unfortunately. And it's not so much because of alcohol. I mean, one thing that I didn't mention is that like, I've been working since I was 15 years old. Really? I always had a job. My parents always made me had a job. You know, I worked at my uncle's surf store, uh, and, and I'll never forget getting that first paycheck and, you know, the realization of like, wow, taxes, what? I'm making nine dollars an hour, and you're about to take forty percent of it. It was it hurt. It hurt. You You know, it's one thing to talk about taxes, but I was also like, you know, folding clothes at 15 years old and like picking up after people's shit. I'm not down with that, you know. And then I was like, you know, through I guess high school, I uh, I I worked at Starbucks. Really, in my hood. Wow, in my hood. Serving frappuccinos to like Hillary Duff. That's incredible. Free, free. Yeah, I, I gave away you. so many free drinks. I, I hope Starbucks it. doesn't hear this, man. I was like giving away free drinks to my boys. I mean, I who, who does you. it, right? Yeah, of I course. feel you. But, you know, I learned a lot. Like I used to test myself back in that day, you know, because I've always kind of been like a little hustler. I've always been able to like make money even even in high school. Yeah. And like, you know, I would I would treat a customer one way, right? You know, a little standoffish, just being a kid. I'm not getting a tip. But this next person, I'm going to really engage them. And like I remember, I'd play this internal game, and like one day I got like a one hundred dollar tip just by Holy showing shit. a smile, and you know it, it it felt good to really 
you know, have a conversation with people like that. And this game turned into something that actually earned me some more money. Yeah. But mind you, like I always had bigger dreams for myself. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but you know, working at Starbucks forever, whatever. If you want for to be sure. Barista and make the finest frappuccino. All more power to you. Yep. But uh, I, I do remember when I got my first raise at, at Starbucks, I was stoked. Like the the boss was like, "Hey, I want to talk to you after work. I want you to come into the office. You know, mind you, you're only making nine bucks an hour or something like yeah. that, minimum wage. Sure, yeah. And I was like, like I earned this raise. I'm getting a hundred dollar tips." So she pulls me in, into the office and she's like, Evan, you know, I'm, I'm here to tell you that you got a raise. You know, your, your wage is going from $9 to $9.12. <laughs> Shout out. Shout out to the 12 cents. And that hurt. And that's when I realized that I wasn't fit for corporate America. Yeah. I'm not into that. No. I could generate a $100 tip with a smile where I could get a raise 12 cents from a billion dollar company. Like, it's pretty clear what I was going to be doing. For sure. After school. Man, crazy. So your heart just like, ugh. I mean, these are pivotal, pivotal moments. Yeah, man. You know, in Very my life that kind of were huge realizations in the moment. Um, and then, you know, once I finally hit college, like I was still working, you know, now I'm at USC. Um, <clears throat> I land this amazing job. So there's a company, a bank, First Republic Bank, great bank. I'm still yeah. with them. Went from employee to client. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I saw a posting online. And I had an interview. I remember I was doing an interview with maybe my sophomore year of school, like in the quad at USC. Yeah. And uh, the gentleman who's one of my very close friends who was interviewing me was named Tasso. So I'm sitting here at this interview in the quad at USC and I got friends coming up and throwing the middle finger at me like, what are you doing? I'm, you know, one finger in my ear trying to do this interview. I can't focus. I'm, I'm in one of those states of mind where I'm just like, I'm, I'm killing this interview. It's not good. This is very uncomfortable. <laughs> so like, you know, I wrapped the interview and I remember sending an email right after like, hey, Tasso, like really great. I don't even remember what I said. I was so in the moment and distracted and I'll never forget. Like in that moment, I'm like, I'm never doing an interview, you know, outside of my personal space where I can't be distracted. Right. I can't think. Right. And I emailed him. I'm like, look, man, I really want the opportunity to just talk to you. And I straight up told him, I was like, look, I was in a bad place for that interview. It was in the middle of my quad at USC, you know, in the middle of the day, it just wasn't right. So we ended up kind of having another interview and I basically landed this job as an online banking associate, hmm. which allowed me to work remotely from college. I would go in maybe to the office a couple of days a week. And all I had to do at that time was basically get the customers that signed up at the bank on online banking. Who doesn't want online banking? They would pay me $40 just to get them to log in. Oh, wow. Hey, Anoush, here's your login. Bam, 40 bucks. Wow. Ooh, all right. And they would send me lists, nice. lists of like hundreds. And then, mind you, they would pay me another $30 just to get you to click on bill pay and set up a bill. Ooh. So now I'm at 70 And then another 10 bucks to get on online statement. So, Ooh. you know, you're talking about sending me, either, I'm, and I'm a relationship person. So I'm now in college, you know, getting work done, living the frat life, you know, um, enjoying everything, but also working. I'm, I'm starting to make more money than I ever have in my life because they, they would list, you know, 250 clients that just signed up with the bank. And I would build relationships with bankers all over the city. And the bankers would get compensated too if I got their clients to go on online nice. banking, all these services. And I was just good at it. So I would be riding my bike, closing, you know, $80 deals. And all of a sudden, you know, it just opened up a new avenue for me to enjoy my college experience in a different way. For sure. Yep. It was great. It's the best job ever. I, I held it for three years. I love it. Throughout college. That's amazing. It enabled me to do a lot. 
I love making it. that type of money. But like doing a good job. That's yeah, what it's for all about. Sure. For sure. So you were in a fraternity in college? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't even know what a fraternity was. Really? You know, I, I had I luckily had a uh, a friend during rush week. You know, if you guys know what that is, it's mm-hmm. like the first week everyone goes and tests out houses. My buddy was like from from Warner in my fifth grade class, Josh Tucker, legend. legend. He was like, you should you should come, you know, check out the frat. And I was like, all right, cool. And like, you know, there's a bunch of dudes, and they told me that this is the place to be. If you want to to really enjoy these next three years of college, you come join our house. Mm-hmm. This is where the social. I mean, mind you, USC's in the hood for sure. Like, there's not a lot to do around USC. Sure, for sure. So, and it's still like a commuter school. It's a commuter school. I mean, shit. I was a computer. Com- I was a computer. No, nah. I, <laughs> I was a commuter. You know, and looking back, I mean, that wasn't the best thing. You know, I could go home and get my laundry done at home. Right, but. You know, and I appreciated being close to the fam, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, the, the social life at, at least at USC was was it revolved around fraternities. So For sure. my buddy Josh was like, "You should come rush with us," and you know, the rest is history. Love it. Yeah. How was that experience for you? It was wild. I mean, at the end of the day, that's just what the social environment was at USC. For sure, you know, like our parties revolved around you know five hundred people in our quad. You know, and and I would say that I. I it was nice to be around that social scene, but I was also, I had an opportunity to work. Like I was the one, I started to become the one person in the house that was waking up early to go into the office or close deals. I had the best job ever. I, I don't, you know, when an opportunity that great comes yeah. into your life, you take it. And mm-hmm. I wanted to capitalize on it. I didn't want to get fired or, you know, whatever. I wanted to make as much money as I can because yeah. I would also spend my weekends traveling. And that's sort of where my travel bug sort of kicked off in college. Mm. But, uh, you know, I was, I was not like a super active, rah-rah, you know, frat guy. I never wanted to be in a frat. I didn't sure. like the, you know, even through, like, I, what's it called, uh, pledging. You know, like, I was not, I was kind of the rebel. You know, like, I was the one that they didn't like because I was like, what the fuck is this process? Like, I'm for not sure. trying to do wall sits for an hour and chug milk and, you know, do the things that <laughs> frat, you know, frat guys do. But, you know, I got through it. For I sure. got through it and, and I Haskell, it. clean my room, yeah, bro. Exactly. No, it was it was it was terrible stuff, man. But I'm glad that I did it, you know. I, and, I, and some of my best friends in life come from uh, from that Friday USC. For sure, that's crazy. Just to to see you transform now into this business world and like to see the you went there for business. Mm-hmm. You're starting to work in the in in the business environment in in a bank. Man, a you know, for it's a, a corporate environment, man. corporate dealing environment, dealing with like multimillionaires and like sometimes driving to their houses. Yeah, you know? and I mean, you enjoy getting paid for this work that that's coming pretty easy to you. Right. Um, did you see this this path kind of blossoming in a way of like, look, I could really, I'm actually enjoying this business world, and I could see something bigger for me and me excelling in this. Did like just from being someone who never really had a clear cut direction or a passion. Or something that was like, you know, it, it's it's very easy to be very like direct with something when you're focused. Like for mm-hmm. me, I wanted to be a musician, right? Just bam, that's every decision spawns from that. Mm-hmm. But now you're like excelling in this this world of business. Mm-hmm. Um, one, did, did you enjoy that? And two, did, did this start opening up other ideas for kind of a future now? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I think that's when, you know, my identity started to recreate itself right because 
I was doing really well on the business end. Like I didn't know anyone that was, you know, and I don't think money is necessarily always the metric in success, but as a college student who's loving the college experience for sure, making money, being able to travel and do things that my, you know, at least compared to my peers can't do. I felt pretty good about that. Um, and when you combine that with the fact that I was in entrepreneurial classes and I, in that first year at San Jose state, I learned to love learning, Mm -hmm. you know, and now I'm, I chose my major. You know, so yeah. now I'm, I'm learning about business. I'm learning about entrepreneurship. You know, I'm going into classes where, you know, I'm looking at people that like, I want to be that, that guy, you know, or that girl, whoever, you know, the, the speaker was in the class. So you felt connected to it. I felt real connected. I mean, my, my, my favorite classes were really the ones where they would bring in individuals, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, that could share their personal experiences because I'm like, wow, like they've been in my shoes before and I'm capable of doing what they can do, mm-hmm. you know, in my own way. So, you know the balance of, of working and doing well at what I was doing and, and, and in a genuine way, like I said, it's not about money. It's the connections that I made with these customers uh, and with the bankers who like, I still till this day, 10 years later, go into First Republic Bank in almost all the locations that are around my city in LA. And like, I know these people mm-hmm. and they respect me because I treated their clients with respect and I, and I, and I did a good job for them. Yeah, you know, sure. there was a reward all over the place, but it was about being genuine and just being real, and, and I thrived in that environment. Being a relationship guy, were you actively seeking like mentorship or finding people that you can kind of look up to and broaden your horizons, if you will? Especially being from like being at USC. Hundred percent. I mean, a lot of people talk about you know the, the Trojan Network, mm-hmm. and while I was there, I didn't really even understand what that even meant. Yeah, I was like, I'm not. It's not like I'm meeting these people. I'm like in the class talking to them. And as I gotten a little bit older, I understand what the Trojan Network is, and I'm part of that network, right? I'm doing what I'm doing, and my friends are doing what they're doing, and people are older, and it's a it's a brand, and it's 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 a real thing. But I mean, going back even to my high school days, although I was a bit of a partier, and you know, uh, would experiment with things back then, I was always the the person being the relationship guy that I am, you know, to show face in front of my friends' parents. Um, to make sure that, you know, I earn their respect, mm. right? Just, you know, my friends might be here blackout drunk acting a fool and I might be just as drunk, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to look the at them in the eyes. On. They might be cockeyed, but I'm looking at you in the eyes trying <laughs> to earn your respect. Yeah. You know, and I always did that. And that's how I, you know, I built a really strong network even in my high school days. Going to a school like that, I was really fortunate to be around families, you know, of hardworking parents. Private school ain't cheap. Talking yeah. like 50 grand a year. This For is real. real. So, but, but all of these parents, you know, like they, they worked hard and I saw that. And it was important for me, you know, for my own identity to, uh, to earn their respect and, and lean on them as mentors as, I got, as I've gotten older. And, and I've continued to do that. I have some really strong mentors that I've known since, you know, my middle school years. And they're simply parents of my friends. Mm. Yeah. You know what's interesting to me, man, as you're saying this is like, we often have a narrative of what it's meant to struggle, right? And if you think of privileged people that grew up just like you, right? The you know you grew up in 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 the hills of L.A. private school. So many people have, including all of us, like you have a narrative already of like, oh, you're privileged, you got everything handed to you. You're not an underdog. You have no none of this, right? You don't have to work for shit. That just like automatically comes with the territory. But like what I love in, in these kind of moments of like 
anyone can be an underdog and have those moments because sure. every like they're there you have to strip away and get to the human element of these things of dealing with like self-doubt self-worth figuring out who you want to be learning what work ethic really means how that's important to you and figuring out where you fit into all this like i'm hearing as you're transitioning to this new kind of um like being around a lot of privileged kids mm-hmm. and but kind of not fit, really fitting in with that in in terms of like academics and your accomplishments mm-hmm. but now as you're in, into college working on the business and getting a sense of accomplishment every $80 that comes in mm-hmm. and evolving into this person but there's still like an evolution with self that's so interesting that's uncovering i think that's something whether you come from a privileged background sure. or poverty yeah. and just take the two sides i think you can kind of strip away some of those things and get to the human element of yeah. what it means to like deal with yourself and deal with like am i really good at something what is that something can i be something can i have a future you know yeah. can i actually like learn from these people around me what it means to work hard regardless of what my friends or family or all these things that you know make the definition of what privilege is you can still very 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 well have all those things that connect you on that level which i always like love to dive in when i hear about these things especially for someone like you who you know as you're talking about this there's still a sense of like struggle coming from an unhappy place to a place of like evolving who you are right you know, like the word privilege, right? Like we're all privileged. For like real, my for privilege, sure. of course, it was it was a privilege to be able to have hardworking, and I'm talking like down to the last dollar, parents that were trying to put me through private school. Like when you compare, like I said, the income levels, and I felt this as a as a high schooler, right? I we were on the bottom. Yeah, my parent, like I, I mean, my parents that would come home. I mean, there was arguments at the house. My parents were busting their ass just to put me through this. So like I was privileged Mm -hmm. in that sense, but I was also privileged to grow up in a city like Los Angeles, right? Which is a very diverse city, religiously, ethnically, culturally, Mm -hmm. racially, you know, like I grew up with it all. That was my privilege. Mm. Right. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that I always paid attention to growing up. Um, I, I, my dad is the hardest worker, like I said, and uh, you know, I love him to death. He's, uh, he's a guy who still comes home because he has a, another kid in, in college right now, yeah. you know, and, and he's busting his ass, you know? So, you know, I think that we're all privileged in a sense, For right? Sure. Depending life on life like, is a privilege, bro. Life is a privilege. And even looking back, you know, it's like, just because I went to high school at Campbell Hall, this all, you know, all these rich private school, whatever, like, that doesn't that that kind of affected my motivation as I got older. Mm. You know, it's like you're just given a silver spoon and you go to Laker games, floor seats, and all these things, and it's like you get out, and it's like it's it's really the kids who really didn't grow up with that. Maybe they've it's been to a Laker game once. For I sure. went to fifteen, not on my dollar. For yeah, sure. you know, so it was like my motivation was different than the guy who like or girl who really wants to achieve a level of success by their own definition. Mm-hmm. So it's it works both ways, and I I think about that even you know with my future like or my future you know kids and how I'd For raise sure. them. Like, am I going to send them to a private school where they're quote unquote privileged? Doesn't yeah. mean that they're going to be more successful or more happy. You know, so that's actually a a, a, a monster point. a monster point. Like, it, it doesn't actually equate to happiness. 
And that's all, all that really matters. At all. all. Really or matters. like, cause like, bro, like, or self-worth. Self-worth really comes from within us. Like you, you, you happen to find it. Like there's so many surface level things like great school, great, there's great surface. But when it comes to really taking hold of one's life responsibilities, that's on us, the mm-hmm. individual. 100%. It's hard to say that the, the, the buck stops anywhere else. You know what I'm saying? Um, as you started going through college, right? Like you went from San Jose State, you like by the by the luck of all gods, mm-hmm. right? Got into a university mm-hmm. and then decided you want to switch up. Did the one year and then you were out. Yeah. I was out. That college time at SC... Were you starting to think about what life after college was going to look like and what you wanted? Or was it more of just playing it by ear and having life hit you again? Looking back, I was really um, the, the whole reason that I don't have a lot of memories from college. It's, it's not about alcohol. It's really about presence. And, and I was skating through college. I was working. I was traveling. I was, you know, doing what college kids do. But it really wasn't, you know, I didn't think about the future. I was just so, I was so in the moment that I was so not present. It was really the last week of college as a senior that I started looking around like this campus and it started like hitting me. Like, like it was like getting punched in the face. It was a wake up call. And I was like, wow, this place is beautiful. Oh my God. Like I've been here for three years already and I've never stopped to appreciate this fountain or this fucking glorious horse made of like stone from the freaking 1700s or something (laughs) this place is beautiful for real and it was really a wake-up call it was like wow and i i I remember i tried to really enjoy that last week every day i walked on campus and i i took a deep breath and i i took in the moment but that was the first you know like i said i'm a senior i got a week and i remember looking back like you're never going to be an undergrad (laughs) again so like that that moment really hit me it woke me up um but I, I still, even at that point, wasn't really too concerned or thinking about the future. For sure. Yeah. What got you to think about the future? So right after college, and I would advise anybody to, to take this type of opportunity, <clears throat> I basically took a loan out from my dad. And I planned a Euro trip with uh, my close friend, Mikey Tour, who's still my world travel buddy. Mm. And we planned this incredible trip, two months, backpacking, hostels, limited budget. We had never even been out of the country, maybe besides Mexico. We went to London, Paris, Barcelona, Rome, Florence, Cinque Terre, Prague, Berlin, Amsterdam, south of France, all over the course of two months. Three days, wow. four days in every single city. The, the real the real thing. The real the deal. Real, yeah. you know, I never, I mean, jet lag is a real thing. Hell yeah. So like, you know, I get to, to London and like sleep for two days because I'm just getting hit in the face with jet lag. <laughs> Um, and I, I'll never forget, man, like when I, and I had actually had a college girlfriend that I broke up with back then and, you know, no job. It's really when I quit kind of that gig over at First Republic and I'm sitting in Barcelona <clears throat> on the beach and by myself, it was important for me and Mikey to get some alone time on this trip. And like, that's when I had a real moment in my life. I was, I was staring out at the ocean, which till this day is really my place to escape. It's my place to think. And I remember just looking around like, wow, you have nothing to worry about right now. You have no girlfriend. You have no job. Mm. You know, life begins now. 
not only does it begin now, it actually, you know, it'll it'll maybe begin at the end of this Euro trip. For and I sure. kind of had planned to like but stay you had in London. that moment. I had that moment of pure calm and pure emptiness. Nothing to worry about. No strings attached anywhere. Everyone's good at home. Like it was a real powerful moment. Yeah. In that moment till this day, I, I don't forget it because it's like as I continue my journey, I kind of think about that moment mm. and that moment, what it really embodied was freedom, mm. you know, freedom from stress, from worries, you know, and I'm, and, and that's the type of life that, you know, I've tried to build for myself and I'll continue to where, you know, I don't have to necessarily stress or worry or, you know, think about money or any of these things. I mean, mind you at that time at my Euro trip, um, let me think I was, I had, I had a, a limited budget. And I got burned in Paris on one of those little under the Eiffel Tower games. You know, I, I lost like, yeah, I was like, it was a betting game, you know, like where yeah. the people were kind of flipping a coin. Sure. Like I lost like 200 bucks and I looked at my gear. I was like, listen, I'm winning that money back. Ugh. I go to an ATM. I had like a thousand dollars budget Fuck. on this trip, which was a lot. But, you know, I literally went and took 200 out, lost that again. Ugh. So it was, that was another life lesson. And I realized, you know, if anyone that's been abroad that knows these stupid games, somebody's in on it. The woman that was winning you know, this game, I looked at her, I said, I will give you my money. Play for me. You're winning so much cash. I keep losing. I don't know how. Play for wow. me. And then I only found out later that she actually works with him. It's the psych, you know, the psychology Fuck. of it. But, you know, lessons uh, learned on that trip. That, sure. But, you know, the, the, the greatest lesson was that, that feeling that I had in Barcelona of ultimate freedom. And, you know, I think about that a lot. Yeah, man. I actually, uh, I had a, a similar feeling. I was in Israel, and I was uh, just got back. Great place. Oh, you you went yeah. two weeks ago. I mean, yeah, great place. I was uh, in Tel Aviv, and shout out. <laughs> and uh, I was in Tel Aviv. And I was like in the middle of the ocean, just like looking laying, at Jaffa. Yeah, exactly. And Beautiful. Just staring at the sky in the middle, like just floating in the ocean, relaxing. And my thought was like, I'm so far away from the life I've always known in this moment. Like, I'm in the, like, if you think about where you are in relation to the planet, like you're this little speck in this little part of this little globe, this big ass globe. And I thought about like, okay, after this, I could literally do whatever the fuck I want to do. And when you come to those moments is, I know what you mean, man. It's a, it's a powerful thing. Like, if you just conceptualize, you don't have to go down um, conventional paths. It, a lot of that is driven by fear, you know, and, and, or, th- or like expectations that you, of the person you think you should be. Mm. And I think when you take a moment like that to design and think about the person you want to be in, like what kind of life, like you say, you know, I, I don't have to be stressed. I can kind of build the life I want. That doesn't mean like you're just enjoying every day because it's easy. It still takes a shitload of work, but you actually have more control than you think you have. Yeah. And, and, and that feeling of isolation and being by yourself was a powerful moment. You know, yeah. like we all have these experiences in life. Sometimes they're alone. Sometimes they're with people, but they're powerful experiences. Yeah, sure. And that for me was one of complete freedom. <coughs> and like I said, it's it's played an important role in what I did from that moment on. What was it about that freedom for you? Like when you looked at that freedom mm-hmm. and what it defined for you moving forward in that moment, mm-hmm. what was that to you? I mean, just the fact that we were in Europe, you know, we could wander down any alley 
and explore anything. It was uh, the idea that, you know, I lead my own destiny. I can go wherever I want. I can turn Again. any corner randomly and stumble upon something and I can be anything that I want to be. I already understood what work ethic was. My dad, like I said, multiple times is the hardest worker ever. For All sure. the parents that I came across in my life, you know, they're, they're cut from a different generation. Like our parents are hardworking people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I, I understood that hard work is what it was going to take to get there. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, it was like, this is my time. I'm free. What am I going to do from here? It's beautiful to, for me to like look at that and, and, and kind of think about there's a beauty in knowing something can exist and there's a supreme separation in actually believing it, right? We all know, know, like the thought exists that anything's possible, right? But there's a profound difference in however somebody moves if they actually believe that anything's possible. Because the belief in anything being possible means that there's a weight in what we need to do to be able to actualize that. Mm. Like, it's really cute to, like, know that anything's possible. Mm. But there's a profound switch. And you've had it, like, at these, like, new beginning moments. At these, like, the land is vast and clear and for my taking moments mm. of actually like i feel like that's one of the through lines with your story is the moment that you actually believe it for yourself mm -hmm. like you know all this shit exists right you do but there's a separate instance where you actually take ownership of the belief that it does mm -hmm. and know that you're fully in control of mm -hmm. that even that quote anything is possible mm -hmm. i remember as i got a little bit older into my you know early 20s I started to realize that all of these quotes that have been passed down for generations, you know, any quote, money doesn't buy happiness, anything's possible. Mm -hmm. There's a reason for those quotes mm -hmm. and, and they're fact. Anything is possible. You can be whatever and whoever you want to for be. Sure. It's going to take hard work. It's going to take dedication. It's going to take a vision. It's going to take true belief. Just because, you know, if you want to do something, if you don't truly believe deep down that if you're not being real with yourself, you're not going to make it. But if you if you want to do something with your life, hard work and smart work will get you there. Yeah. I feel you. Yeah. In your eyes, like and 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 taking a moment to be able to look back, right? Mm -hmm. Being that you're actually one of the prime examples of this like nuance in anything is possible. What do you think it is that allows somebody and and more particular in in more particular to your life of actually believing that anything is possible? Like what's that switch? Cuz there's a switch there, bro, right? Mm -hmm. For you, what was that switch in actually believing it? Because once you actually believe it, you start pursuing it. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like when we know the thought is there, the idea of the pursuit is scary. Because all of the what ifs, what if I don't, what if I, mm -hmm. but if we actually believe that anything is possible, mm -hmm. there comes a moment where it's like, I don't give a flying fuck what happens. I'm going to make it possible because it is. And there's yeah. a different level of like conviction there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I had definitely proven it to myself, you know, looking back on my college experience, right. And, and being against the odds, being at a school that I didn't want to be at. 
and having a vision for what I wanted out of my life and, and achieving that mm-hmm. um, against the odds. So I had already been put through a situation in my life where I proved to myself that if I have a vision of what I want for my life, I'm capable of executing it. Mm. Um, so I, 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 I took that experience with me and I'll continue to um, because anything that I want, any place that I want to go, as long as I have a vision that's wholehearted and true, I'll get there. Mm. Incredible. Yeah. After that trip, what internally, what was the next move for you? So on the tail end of that trip, you know, my plan was to actually try and find a job in London and maybe even live abroad. Really? Um, but I remember after two months of living out of a suitcase, you know, it was time to go home. Yeah. It was time to go home and just reset. And, you know, when I landed back in, in Los Angeles after two of the most transformative and best months of my life, you know, it was, uh, I was a new me. I was a new me. Um, I knew that I had to get a job. I had to make money. I burned all my money in Europe. Unfortunately, a fourth of it was on gambling under the Eiffel Tower. (laughs) Um, but you know, it was, uh, it was the idea that I could do anything. And, you know, so I started to interview, um, and, and aside from taking on those interviews, which I was never fearful of doing, in fact, sometimes I would just take them just to, to get the experience because I didn't fear anything. Okay, I don't get that job. There's five other interviews that I have lined up. Yeah, frankly, sure. my first interviews right when I got home, you know, I was interviewing for things that I didn't even really know that I... I, I think I was interviewing for like uh, VC and private equity and you know finance stuff. I'm not even a numbers guy. I'm yeah. terrible at math. But, uh, you know, I, I went through these interviews and I started to, that was the first time in my life that I was like, you know what? I'm in control of every decision in my life, Yeah. you know? And, you know, the things that I would feed myself on a physical level, the food that I would eat, the water consumption, the books that I would read, mm. the people that I would hang out with. That was the first time that I actively controlled that environment. Mm. It's such a, a great thing to be conscious of, man. Super transformative right there. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I ended up landing a job at a, a really great private equity firm in Century City. Really? Yeah. Um, private equity firm, Century City, you know, back to wearing a suit every day. For sure, yeah. But, you know, feeling accomplished, like, wow, I did that. I walked into that interview and just landed a job that, like, you know, a lot of people would probably love to have. And yeah, I felt sure. good about it. Yeah. Um, but very quickly... You know, it took me back to that idea that I don't like corporate environments. Mm-hmm. You know, all the of these people, race. you know, that are walking by me that are, you know, my colleagues we're competing for the same position. You know, you're my friend, but I could see it on your face for when you sure. walk by to the bathroom. You're not my friend. Mm. You're competing against me and you're scared of me. Mm. You know, so I didn't really like that environment. Although it was a great firm, I learned a lot. I analyzed companies um, and, you know, I learned how to value companies. And at the same time, during that job, you know, that entrepreneurial gene within me. Yeah. And, you know, my family has a lot of entrepreneurial uh, uh, history. Mm. You know, I have a great, great, great grandfather that actually invented the modern day golf ball. Stop so, playing. For real. You wow. look up, yeah. You look it up. It's called the Haskell Ball. You Google that. Really That's wild. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was sitting here at a private equity job um, as an analyst and writing business plans. 
So that kind of led me had to... Had you uh, ever written a business plan before? No, but I had enough, you know, understanding of what that entailed to go out there and put my ideas on paper. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and I was really... <laughs> spending 50% of my time on the work that was at hand as part of the, the function of that job. But the other 50% was putting the things in my head on paper because I knew that I didn't like working for other people. I always wanted to, you know, be my own boss and I was ready and willing at that stage of my life to do what it takes to at least try. Mm. What, uh, what did you dislike about, aside from like the, the competitive in nature and, and, but what did you truly dislike about um, working for other people and what drove you to really to, to kind of be your own boss? And I asked this question because, one, I, I mean, I've done both. I have a, a business and I've also worked in the super corporate environment. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I think, huge risk in both. I don't think there's really a sense of security in either. Um, and I think both are like wildly challenging in their own own ways. Um, you know, there there's arguments to be like, well, I don't want to, you know, fight for my promotion or have someone dictate how much money I can make. But in the entrepreneur world, like as you know, yeah, I mean, the it's you 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 can run up to those same challenges there mm-hmm. too. I think having an experience like I did, you know, going from high school where I love my high school experience. I barely even worked. Mm -hmm. I don't even know how I got by. I don't even know how I got by college. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and then realizing like, wow, there's a non-traditional route to get into USC. You don't have to necessarily put in, you know, six years or four years of high school for work and all that time to get there. There's Mm -hmm. a, there's a quicker route. So it wasn't so much that I didn't like working for other people. In fact, I've had some really amazing uh, bosses. Sure. You know, growing up that I took a lot of uh, learning lessons from. Yeah. But it was this idea of being in a corporate environment and realizing that in order to get to who I want to be, mm. right, which is maybe the president of that firm, mm-hmm. that's going to take a hell of a lot of work and it's going to take a hell of a lot of time. Yeah. And I don't have time for that. You know, so I think that um, the, the, the fear was like, man, I'm going to get stuck in a system and spend 10 to 15 years of my life slaving away 90 hour weeks mm. just to be that guy. Mm. And I didn't want that. I didn't want that. And I was willing to take those risks in my early 20s to, uh, to skip that route and find my own path to, you know, working for myself. In your mind, who was that guy that you wanted to be? So there's a few mentors that I have in my life. Um, You know, some of those people that walked into my classes at USC and I would look at them and I would like, I would look at their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You know, they were hard workers. They were successful. They would travel the world with their families. They would live in a nice house and, and they would embody all the things that I want. You know, I want a family one day, like... There's no doubt about it, but they ultimately had what I found that day in Barcelona on the beach. And that was that freedom, Mm. right? The freedom and the ability to do that. You know, you live one life. Yeah. So how are you going to spend it? Are you going to spend it 15 years getting to that position to become the president of the private equity firm or maybe even longer, right? Or are you going to find a non-traditional route to get to be that type of person? So I always knew the type of life that I wanted. I still do. I still do. I know 
you know, I know where I want to be when I'm 50 years old, you know, and I set my goals a, a bit more on the short term now. Um, but I still know where I'm going. Yeah. When, when did you finally take the plunge? Like what, or, or what was it that kind of like tipped you over the edge to finally start living worry free and having the freedom to be able to fail, but on your own terms? Mm-hmm. There's no doubt that there was, it was a process And the day that I was ready to take that, you know, that next step was when that first business plan was completed. Mm. What, what, was, what were you trying to do? So my first company was called Socialite. Socialite, um, was a product that, you know, I, I had been to some clubs, you know, I wasn't necessarily the biggest partier, but I was fascinated by the fact that a club could sell a bottle of Grey Goose that I could buy at bevmo for 40 bucks and they could sell it for a g wow this is nuts man wild nuts and i remember at these clubs you know they would walk out with like a light underneath the bottle yeah you know like lighting up this bottle because it was like you know they wanted to make you the 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 person that was spending this money and and highlight that yeah so i came up with this concept um i think that it originated maybe from like one of my entrepreneur classes and i kind of just stuck with one idea i had a, a business partner at the time and we created this company called Socialite. And what we did was we created a pourer that would go onto the top of a, a bottle, like a Grey Goose or any bottle that they would sell at a club. Mm-hmm. And we designed through CAD modeling a pourer that would not only pour liquor more efficiently and quickly, but it had an LED light within it that you could press a button and it could illuminate the bottle. Mm. So aside, you know, it's oh, one thing wow. to bring the bottle out with a flashlight underneath it, but when it sits on the table... It's not illuminated anymore. Yeah. Right. So the attention becomes irrelevant. Yeah. It's not, you know, you only have that at three minutes. So I was like, my goal, right. And my product is something that can sell more bottles. Mm -hmm. Right. I didn't really think too much about the alcohol consumption side, but I was like, this is the product that I'm going to try and put into nightclubs. And I took it one step further and I said, I'm going to design a pour that on the side of this pour, we're going to put an advertising space. Vegas and all these clubs that I've been to, there's advertisements all over the place. Sure. You know, I remember like The Hangover was a funny movie. It came out back then. Yeah. We created a, a, a about a one inch um, part of this pour where, you know, The Hangover or Red Bull or Monster, whatever the brand was, could actually utilize that advertising space so that we had revenue coming from multiple angles. So it was a pretty innovative, interesting product, but you know, I didn't have the business, um, experience or expertise to really execute it, but I went out there and I tried. So I quit my job, you know, I convinced my parents that this is what I was going to try to do. And I went club to club, not being a partier, but trying (laughs) to be on the business side of it. And I knew that just by being on the business side of it, I could get into clubs. It's not an easy thing to do as a 23 year old without knowing people. Yeah. So, you know, I was pitching the top people in the industry and I was giving these things away for free. And, you know, frankly, I was enjoying life and clubbing and uh, I was sitting in the club and watching people, you know, hold their bottle of Grey Goose. Right. I could never afford a bottle like that, but I was watching them use my product, you know, holding that thing like a like a lightsaber. Yeah. And it was like this moment of like, wow, you did this. Mind you, I was giving away for free. Yeah, It was a test. I was learning. For sure. You know, but it was really cool to see my product, you know, in the hottest clubs in LA that I had never even been to. Absolutely. You know, the concept was proven at that that moment. Yeah. Did you, uh, when you went off to start, um, one, did you have like a savings or anything to support you or were you living at home? 
definitely, uh, what definitely you know, I was, I, I was living at home, but I think um, my, my girlfriend at the time had her own apartment. So I, I would say that I was really living out of her apartment. Mm. But, you know, I was working, but I was still sleeping until 11. You know, I wasn't... Uh, I wasn't doing what it takes to build a truly successful company. It was kind of like I'm working, but like yeah. it was justifying to myself that I was working. And in terms of, you know, funding, the business partner that I had brought on at that time that I was working with, his uncle owned a lighting factory in Los Angeles. So we used his CAD designer. The funds were really controlled by him, mm. but I knew nothing about setting up an operating agreement you know, or equity issuance or raising funds or anything. I was just kind of going with the flow, Yeah. you know, and uh, that business partner relationship kind of fizzled out because I think that we both had different visions for what Socialite was going to do. And, you know, the, the, the company itself was ultimately um, a failure because it's just, it's all about execution. Yeah, you sure. know what I mean? I, I've always been pretty good at being able to spot opportunities from a business sense, but executing it um, is a whole different ballgame. How long, experience. how long did you do it before it, it fizzled out? I probably spent um, maybe about eight months to a year working wow. on that product. Never, you know, recouping some of the costs that it took to, you know, buy 3,000 products, which is the MOQ, the minimum order quantity from China. Yeah. You know, I mean, I have probably a box if I go into my garage of like a thousand of these things. So we made a little bit of money back, but we never broke even. It was never a successful business. But, you know, fast forward to today you know, companies, somebody saw that product mm. and actually was able to execute it. For sure. Um, and you'll see bottles all the time that have, you know, a button and suddenly they're illuminated. So For sure. the concept was proven. It was something that I put out into the market that didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that moment of knowing that someone took a concept that I envisioned and made it a reality, yeah. you know, it, it kind of proved again to myself that I'm capable. I just need to execute better next time on my next product. For sure. Outside, outside of knowing, outside of like knowing that you were capable, that being an affirmation, what did you take away from failure at that point? And what did that next step look like? Failing at that time, it didn't hurt. You know what I mean? Because I, I knew that I went into this with good intentions. It didn't work out. Frankly, the, uh, the business partner relationship was, one of the first things that I realize is really difficult, right? If, 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 if you don't have a complimentary business partner in the business that you're running, you're kind of doomed for sure. Right? It doesn't always work out. If your vision is not aligned with that other person, if they're not complimenting and rarely you know, will you ever, it's tough. I mean, I think that there are certain scenarios that it, it works out perfectly well. And, and most of the time it's, it's a lot tougher than people think. Yeah. For sure. Um, so my biggest lessons, you know, failure at that moment, like I said, it didn't hurt failure. I learned early on that like failing is okay. Failing is just learning and you have yeah. to fail. Yeah. That's important. Completely. Yeah. That's good that you took it like that. Cause it could be, you know, especially for like your first venture, um, something that's like, here's the thing about getting into business is it's, it, it can be such a personal thing. Like you come up with this idea, you become attached to it because it came from your imagination mm-hmm. You know, it's, I find it hard to sometimes completely detach from a business idea that I've come up with, Mm -hmm. like, or just anything that we're doing. Um, I think that's one of the like unique things about entrepreneurship 
is starting a company, but you're a person and a human being with feelings and thoughts and attachments and, and emotional connections to these ideas because you think of something and then it becomes a reality. Like you're sitting at a club, you're like, that thing on that bottle came from my brain. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting thing, man. It's it's a, it's it's very weird. Yeah. Um. So, I, like dealing with a type of failure or, or a company that doesn't work. Did you um to want to hear like that you you took it so well it, as a lesson is really awesome. Um. How'd that kind of change going into your next venture or what you wanted to do? Um. And did you struggle with that at all? Like, did you did you have self doubt or was it more like, all right, I knew what I did wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get back up. I'm going to do it right this time. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when you look back at that specific company, I was 60% of the way there. Mm. You know, I was missing things basically because of my experience. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't realize that a business partner relationship had to be a certain way or the fact that my business partner at the time controlled the funds. Mm. We didn't even have an agreement set up. So these are learning lessons that I took very early on that were important for, you know, what was coming next. So, you know, at that time, it was probably around 2012. Um, It was on to the next thing. And I ended up meeting uh, a buddy of mine um, who lived in in a building in downtown LA. Um, it's funny because when I went to USC, I lived in downtown LA my first year and I, I hated it. Mm. I hated it. I had to commute to school. This is my sophomore year. You know, there, there was a huge homeless problem and and still is unfortunately in downtown, you know, the pollution, the traffic, all I grew, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a nature boy. Yeah. I grew up in the Hills. Yeah. So like living in that environment, I remember when I, when I finally left downtown and moved towards USC, actually into my frat house, I was like, I'm never living in downtown again. Mm. I swore to myself I would never do it. But, you know, the the dude that I met, his name is David Zhu. Um, I met him because he lived in my ex's building. Nice, beautiful high-rise downtown LA. And he was like the one dude that I met in my early career that I could like really chop it up on a business level. Mm. You know, he was pretty close to my age, but like he could hold a conversation with me. Yeah. You know, like he's done it. He was actually a professional poker player who like made a million dollars in one tournament. And he was actually playing online poker back in the day, online poker, which is, I believe it's illegal right now. But I mean, you know, he was playing, you know, traditionally in poker, you play one table. Yeah. No, they play like 40. He could play 40, yeah, but not only was he playing 40, he was building algorithms that would basically calculate things that allowed him to master this process of playing 40. And he was raking in cash. The kid was 22 years old driving an Aston Martin. I'm like, this is my guy. This is my guy. But we had really amazing, you know, conversations and, and, you know, he was my first intro into meeting somebody like me who's really out there in the business world because he was actually running a company at the time as well. And like closer to the person that I wanted to become. So I I attached to David, who's still my very close friend to this day. And I got involved with a concept that he had. It was a company called Nplug. He was running two companies. Nplug was sort of this vision. It was me, David, and this guy, PD. He was like the, the technical engineer. And we were basically providing... 48 inch screens to venues all across Los Angeles where that venue could basically go on to a desktop app 
and put their menus, if it was like a, a restaurant or you know a, a yogurt shop, um, onto the screen, and then we were actually selling advertisements in real time. We were giving the the, the screens away from free for free. It was really a real estate play, and we started growing this company. And he was involved with a, a group called Start Engine and down or in uh, it was in Century City. Started by a, uh, a pretty successful entrepreneur who had invested in his company, and I started working with his company, Emplug. I was like the fourth, you know, employee. Emplug uh, actually had a house in Bel Air that was their office where like twelve people lived. Me and David were about to move in, but like that was my yeah. It just I kind of fell into this company, mm. and you know he was like, "Look, man, do you want to be the director of sales or the CEO?" And I was like, "Dude, I." I don't even understand this vision. I'm here. I'm here to learn. But like, I can't be the CEO. I don't even know what the <laughs> fuck this yeah. is. So it's like, I'll do sales, you know? Um, so I started spending a lot of time with David. In fact, I was still living, you know, at home at the time. And uh, David was just this little hustler. He was a hustler. You know, he had his company going and I was trying to help him out. And it's funny because he was... Uh, he was doing Airbnb back in 2012 mm, really? in a downtown Los Angeles building where he didn't even live in the apartment, but he was airbnb this apartment. So like three months into this N-plug role, I'm sitting here like, wait, this guy's making seven Gs a month on Airbnb. And remember, by the way, back in the day, there was very low supply on Airbnb, but there was exceptionally high demand because yep. of you know Google AdWords and all the advertising... You know, so like he was able to rent an apartment for $3,000 a month, you know, and, and make seven G's. Crazy. And I'm like, this guy knows how to make money. Facts. So you, I mean, la- I think, you latch on to that, obviously. Yeah. I, I saw something there. You saw an opportunity. Yeah. There, the first opportunity was this. That building where David was, you know, running an Airbnb operation. Obviously, Airbnb, if you're in an apartment building, they're not for it. It's against your lease. Sure. So they actually told David that he needs to stop. So I took that opportunity to say, hey, I'll work for Mplug. Shit, I'll work for free. But I'm living in that apartment. So that got me out of the house. Mm. So now I'm sitting here, 23, 24, living in a downtown LA loft, about 1,400 square feet, Mm. living life, living for free, working for Mplug. But I was really intrigued by that, that Airbnb concept. Of make I've never seen money like that for sure, you know. So that kind of uh, was an opportunity to get out of the house. Where did that take you? So I moved into that apartment, and you know, I said, "Hey, David, man, I I, I think that this employed concept could be great, you know. But personally, I'm not really with it. But but what about that Airbnb thing? David was always like the the type of person that like." could spot up op- money-making opportunities. Yeah, he just had And he that. would want to put his friends on. Like, a, a few of David's best friends, like, started running these little kind of micro Airbnbs. And, like, everyone was making money. So I was like, I'm really interested in this. And this is much more relevant to what I want to be doing. Why don't, you know, why don't you let me kind of uh, run, like, an Airbnb operation for you? Hmm. Right? So, in, in going back to my childhood, you know, like, a lot of times people when they're trying to figure out what they want to do they always kind of relate it back to like who were they as a kid i was the kid in the back of mom and dad's car like you know 10 years old looking at the homes section of the la times just looking at these mansions that i was so like impressed and intrigued by Mm -hmm. 
not only the the homes themselves, but like you know the way that they were designed. I remember that was just something that I was into as For a young sure. kid. So I was always into hospitality and design and homes. And yeah. this was like my opportunity to basically jump right into the Airbnb operation. Yeah, this man. is where it all started. So David and one of our investors um, from Start Engine, who invested in Nplug, our first company purchased in 2013 at the 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 low uh in, in a low market they purchased five units in a building in downtown la on 7th and hope mm. so i'm living in downtown la for now at this point for probably four to six months and they just purchased five units in the building next door and the plan was furnish them david owned three of the units the other person howard owned i think two or three as well mm-hmm. I think it was three we're going to furnish these units and we're going to put them on airbnb and evan you're going to be the guy who was going to run this operation. Mm. And I worked out a deal with them, which was a really shitty deal, but it was $15 per check-in okay. and you run it all. So we're talking about two, three day stays here. Yeah. And I'm literally, I think 300 people within the course of like four months came through that building, <sighs> small wow. residential condo building. Yeah. So you can imagine this isn't there's an HOA, but we were like we could do whatever we want. We own these units. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, at that time I'm I'm doing laundry, think you know, check-in issues. I'm I'm dealing with something crazy, but we're generating a shitload of cash. Yeah. The cash isn't going to me. I'm getting fifteen dollars a check-in. But David and, and, and you know Howard are happy. You know, so from doing that from about for about four months, you know, I realized wow, there's there's a real opportunity here. Because in that moment, the people that were staying with us kept telling me, and mind you, these apartments were meagerly furnished. I'm talking like $200 couches, Roku's. They didn't even have cable TV. I don't even know if they have coffee makers. It was very bland, mm-hmm. right? And in, in the, the hotels across the street are, you know, 200 bucks a night and they're, they're hotels they're yeah. or whatever. But like people kept coming to me and I was meeting people from all around the world. It was really fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And the, the one thing that I couldn't wrap my head around was these people would come to me and be like, Evan, like, this is amazing. We feel so good staying at your building. And I was like, even though there's not cable TV or, you know, there's a pleather couch there, you guys really (laughs) like this? I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that the elation on these people's faces. And it took a while to, like, figure that out. Yeah. And and what it came down to was, regardless of how the place was furnished, it had a kitchen, it had a washer and dryer, and most importantly, it was the feeling of being home. Yeah. So, like, that moment... through experiencing and having conversations with these people, a vision popped into my head and all these furnished, all these units were furnished slightly differently. You know, one was like the LA theme and this one was, you know, used furniture. They were all different, Yeah. but I had a vision in that moment, Hmm. you know, and that's, that basically was the, um, the spawn of urban flat, which is a company that I still run today. That's Mm. crazy. 2013. Can I ask during this time, you know, you could easily make more money doing something else, right? Getting a job, just getting like, you could make more than 15 bucks a Mm check-in just applying and working for a job. Right. Yeah. Did you ever, did you struggle with those moments or ever go back and forth? Like, man, what what am I really doing here? I could just make like three times this you know, mm-hmm. working here a couple of years and having a real career. What the hell am I doing? This entrepreneurial, sure. these money guys are making all this money. I'm just, I'm, yeah. I don't come from that. Like, 
Did you have those moments and what kept you in the game? I think the moment was, you know, it's one thing to get paid $15 a check-in, but it's another thing to be bringing in, you know, $40,000 of revenue a month. That was money that I was bringing in because I was the one responding to these guests. So, you know, when I had that vision to basically create a company where I could brand apartment building A and brand apartment building B, you know, and make money off of that. I came to my, my investor and, and David and I said, look, I'm not getting paid $15 a check in here. You know why? Because we together are going to create a company. We're going to set up a foundation. I'm going to raise money. I have a vision. We can go way bigger. You know, forget your personal gains on this. In fact, I'll even run these apartments as part of my operation, but I'm no longer getting paid $15 a check in. Mm-hmm. So I presented a business plan to Howard and David and my dad and I raised um I raised a hundred thousand dollars and um that was like the first time in my life where you know I was able to leverage the experience that I had in building business plans sitting at a corporate job and I executed this perfectly and, and I cr- you know I I cut a pretty good deal at the time. You know, to, to, to be a 24 year old or 23 year old and someone says, Hey, we believe in you. We believe in your vision. Hmm. You know, I, I raised $50,000 from friends and family. This is my pops and another 50 from an investor. It was a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, that's real money. Yeah, the bank accounts sure. at a hundred thousand, the company bank account. Yeah, for sure. But now I had to execute my vision. Yeah. So that's sort of when the, the journey began. You know? Take us through that. What were those first steps? First of all, what was it like riding the high of actually getting that investment? Right. And then secondly, how did you navigate through having an idea come from an inception point that wasn't your own fully, but it was you were taking something that you've learned and building a company around people that you'd gotten this from? Like, how was that? Knowing that you got inspiration from a group of people, including them in there, bringing your family in and starting your venture. I mean, it was real money, you know, and it was real money. And, and I was the uh, the sole driver of what the potential of this company could be. Hmm. Um, I'm not going to say that I necessarily had an idea for how big it could be. But I just wanted to get started. And I sure. wanted to get started with were, one. Were they as enthusiastic? Or was it more of for them like, okay, cool, like we're making the shitload on passive income? The gentleman that I was dealing with had plenty of money. So the margins that they were making at the time were good, but insignificant to their net worths. Gotcha. And they're business people to begin with. So I think that they saw an opportunity in funding me as a young entrepreneur to build something that could be a hundred X, you know, what they're, you know, and obviously they had to be part of that deal for sure. But you know, at the, uh, that, that apartment building where we were, sorry, the condo building, it's important because it's a condo, there's an HOA, you know, they started to threaten lawsuits. You know, they're like, Hey, this is a violation of the HOA. You can't rent for less than 30 days. So like our time there was kind of done, you know, like they kind of had to find like long-term renters and it was actually a, a little, you know, that's after raising a hundred thousand dollars. And then all of a sudden the building where you're generating all your revenue is like, Hey, you guys are done. Yeah. We're on to you. Yeah. And we, you know, at the beginning we flexed, we were like, this is, we own these units, we could do whatever we want, but there's a clear HOA 
rule set that mm-hmm. we were in violation of and they brought attorneys against us. I was like, and mind you, I was living in the building. Yeah. <laughs> I was like the building's most hated man. Like people Wild. would give me dirty looks. Yeah. There was like one dude in the elevator that like literally approached me one day and was just like, I know who you are. I was just like, dude, who are you, bro? <laughs> yeah, bro, watch case. out. No, it was crazy, man. Like people didn't like me there. I wow. didn't really think that what I was doing was wrong. Uh, was wrong because I didn't sign any. I didn't sign the, the 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 agreement to buy the places. I didn't. You know, it was it wasn't my HOA. But yeah. then I realized sure. it, it was a learning lesson. For you sure. Know? So now all of a sudden I got a hundred grand in the bank, and I have a operation that's done because the building's on to us. But what I realized is there's opportunity to basically take vacant inventory and generate returns from it, Yeah. right? So we can essentially be an asset to any vacant unit. So that's sort of when I, uh, I uh, there was a building called the Medici in downtown LA. If I anyone knows LA, Medici. oh, we all did. <laughs> For me? <laughs> we all did. This building looked like it was straight out of Rome. It was straight gorgeous. Up. Gorgeous. Straight Amenities, up. pool, yeah. track, never used them once. Never. Disgusting building. The pool a couple times. A couple times. The gym was like super wild when you went through the walkthrough and then you never used it. You used that tanning room? Huh? No. No, I mean neither. I could not bring myself to it. That was one of those that you're like, oh, this is super. Oh, no, tanning room. It's but, dark. Ooh. No yeah. pun intended. I feel it's you. Dark. I feel you. Anyway, I knew that was a building that I, the, the building that I lived in my sophomore year of school. And I knew that they were the most lenient building that I'd be able to approach with this concept. I knew that they had vacant units. Yeah. I knew that they were cheap and it was a good starting point for launching this business. So I approached uh, one of the, the guys that I knew who actually leased me my apartment sophomore year of college. I approached him three years later. His name's Anthony, good guy. And I was like, look, man, like I have a concept here for you and this is what I want to do. I want to rent these apartments and I want to lease them out as a corporate housing company. And I want to lease them to business travelers primarily. Um, What do I need to do to sign a lease on these units? He's like, well, you got the funds? I was like, well, uh, yeah, I guess so. I got a hundred grand in the bank, you know? So, but it's not about how much money you have in the bank. I mean, shit, it's it's $40,000 investment just for one apartment. So like now they need to check your credit, you know, you need to be a guarantor. So, you know, I was on the hook for that first unit. We're starting day one. Yeah. So like I had to sign, you know, as the guarantor, or I think maybe my pops hopped on as the guarantor, but my name was on the lease. If, if we failed to pay that lease, we were dead. Yeah. And that's actually the first moment in my business career where mm. I like felt fear. Mm. I was like, man, I'm really putting, like I could ruin my credit. I could ruin a lot. Yeah. But like man. shit, it's what it is. Yeah. I gotta do it. I don't have a choice. So like we opened up one apartment and I remember like, I met this dude at the Fairfax flea market, John DeResta, like epic furniture builder. He was building like wood furniture and I structured a deal with him where like for $800, he would give me a headboard, nightstands, TV stand, you know, like he decked out our room with furniture and the rest we would just buy from like Ikea or, you know, whatever, you know, all these little, it was cheap. It was cheap. We didn't, we were spending three grand to furnish one bedroom down to the TV. Incredible. And like, I remember looking at my first room, like, damn, I'm an interior designer, yo. Like, I, like this you. place is dope. And, you know, we, we, we put it on Airbnb and we were making the same type of money that we were at the, the previous building. And, you know, David was like, let's go, let's get another one. And like, I knew that my name was on these leases. Yeah. I'm the one on the hook. Yeah. 
So I went back to the building. I said, hey, like we're paying our rents on time for the last you know three months. Can I catch another unit with you guys? And they were like, no problem. No problem. They just want the, they just want the checks. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. Steady yeah. income. For sure. Steady income. So, you know, now it's like signature number two. Now it's like, it's not just a 40 grand liability in my name. It's like 80. There we go. Yeah. Right. And I say that because it's like, you know, four grand a month, three grand a month, whatever the number is times 12, you know, that's For sure. a decent $36,000 liability For sure. to my name. Yeah. So that was scary. That, yeah. that signing that, that, that paperwork, it was scary, yeah. but like I didn't have an option. I couldn't fail. Yeah. I could not fail. I had to do whatever it takes to get those apartments full. You know, mind you, we were just using Airbnb. That was the idea. Um, and, and this process continued. And at that time, was Airbnb like booming? I wouldn't say that it was booming. It was in its infancy stages. Yeah. But it was, it was starting to get on the map. Got it. People were starting to, you know, it was starting to grow. It was the early stages. But, you know, in any company. It any, had consumer confidence at yeah. that point. It was starting to. Got it. You know, it was it was the beginning stages. And, you cool. know, any time that a, a new industry For begins, sure. the people that get in in the earliest stages are the ones that capitalize the most. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, I was there. I was the first company that I ever... I mean, I I could probably literally look at every single Airbnb listing at that time. You know, they, they didn't have yeah, that yeah, many yeah. listings. <laughs> yeah. It was the first time that like, anyone had kind of executed such a concept. So, yeah, I mean, that process continued for six months or so, and we kind of got up to maybe five or six apartments, and uh, something was real. We were, we, were, we were profitable day one. That's some scaling really quickly. For sure. But, I mean, yeah. the fact is, is, you know, you would invest the, the three to $4,000 to furnish the apartment. Sure. But the returns that you were making, we would pay off that investment in a month. In a month, yeah. So we just kept scaling like a, like a game of poker. We didn't even need to raise money. So our bank account was growing, and then it would go down as we would furnish units and then it would grow again. And it was just a constant cycle. And, you know, the crazy thing is that signature that I kept having to sign, you know, from $36,000 liability to 70 to 100 or whatever, like that fear that I felt that first day yeah. was like, I'm over it. I'm fucking done. Wow. Anyway, you know, I'm not, what I'm, at this point, I'm all in. Yeah. I'm all in. Yeah. It's like almost too big to like... I'm screwed either way. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. It's like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're, you're nervous at the, uh, at the 40,000 level mark, but then it just gets so big that you're like, ah, fuck it. Like, for sure. Well, I also, again, I, I proved to myself that sure. I could execute what I envisioned. So yeah. if I could do it with one apartment, I could do it with two and I could do it with six and I could do it with 10 and Done. I could do it with 20. So when you become in your own frame of mind, too big to fail. Yeah, I mean, what what happened was is that you know we obviously had an LLC, which at the end of the day protects you from certain legal liabilities. Sure. But you know what we were doing is we were paying our rents on time, so you know it got to a point when it was ready to go to building B, which happened to be coincidentally the building that you know we the told David to to stop doing it. I said, hey, like I have an opportunity for you guys. And I leveraged the fact that I was over at the the Medici. Yeah. I said, "Look, I, you know, we got ten units there. We're paying three grand a month, thirty grand a month. Like, do you guys have any vacant inventory? I mean, I actually had a connection that got us in with like the upper ups of the building. But I was able to leverage the credit that I had built to that tax ID to not have to be the guarantor anymore. It was no longer my personal liability. It was the company's. Got yeah. it. So like the days of me signing leases and even upon those renewals, I was damn sure to get my name off that. Yeah." You know, so like all of a sudden it was like, wow, the company has credit. So like we were able to convince, you know, a, a building um, 
building B, if you will, to, to give us some units and we furnish them. And, you know, every unit that I furnished, mind you, I had zero experience in interior design and I was using friends and resources to kind of help guide that vision. It just got better and better. You know, like the first room looked like shit. The next one was like amazing. And then like the third one, I would look back and I was like, wow, like you're constantly evolving. Yeah. You know, the quality of things would, would, and I was listening to my customers. I was still meeting people from all around the world. And, you know, my genuine intention then and now was just to basically create environments for people to feel like they were truly at home from all around the world and, uh, and just have an alternative to a hotel because a hotel is great for one or two or three days. But like, what if you're a business traveler coming for two weeks or three weeks? You don't want to stay in a hotel. You want to do your laundry. Mm -hmm. You want to cook a meal. So like we were offering that environment and I realized at that moment after paying these rents that like I'm an asset, I'm an asset to these buildings. Yeah. So, you know, we were able to really organically bootstrap uh, the company. And when I say we, I mean, David's involvement, you know, he was my co-founder um, and I think that he would admit this as well. Early on, he kind of phased off. He kind sure. of, uh, I thought that like, you know, as a co-founder, you were going to be there with me like at all times, but like he had another company to run and I wasn't really, I didn't really have that expectation. Mm. You know, I like having a co-founder. I Mm. like having someone to like wake up and like go to work with and like bounce ideas off. And like, I thrive off of someone's energy, but like he wasn't really there. And it was kind of like my opportunity. I I didn't have a choice. Like I took my dad's money. Mm -hmm. Like I had to pay back, you know, because we did a debt deal with an equity kicker. I had to pay these investors back. I didn't have a choice, but I was a little, you know, you know, I hurt by it. I guess at the time, like, mm-hmm. damn, I thought I had a co-founder, but like, dude, you're, you're out there living your life. And so I just had to keep moving forward. Mm. What did you learn about yourself and also the way that deals are structured from this experience early on? So <clears throat> with regards to, to deals, um, <laughs> When people tell you that they're going to be your co-founder or when people early on, you know, say that they want to be involved in your business, it's important to have really good legal advisement. I didn't really have that back then and I got tooled in one of the, the, the worst deals that I ever cut in my entire life was giving equity to somebody who said she was going to be a co-founder, right? She was going to provide X amount of legal work, do this, that, whatever, you know, the reality is that person was gone within three months. Mm, wow. She was an older woman and kids. And, you know, I don't, frankly, I don't blame her. But, like, I remember when I, when, when their asking equity was, you know, X amount, I got her down by 60%. I thought I closed the best deal of my life. I, I, in that moment, I walked out to my car after I signed that deal and I screamed, man. I was so happy. It was like <laughs> one of the happiest moments I've ever experienced. Yeah. And the ironic part is, is that, you know, a few years later, I realized it was the worst deal I ever cut. Wow. You know, so it's important to have really good legal advisement, not only from, you know, a lawyer, but people that have done this before. For sure. And, you know, I've been through some experiences early on and I'll continue to that, you know, I like sharing with people to protect them. Because when you're first starting out in business, you know what the fuck you're doing. You Absolutely. Know? You know, so it's important to keep good people around you and good advisors. How was that for you as a founder and a co-founder? And just in this environment, realizing when you come to the realization that whoever the hell else is involved with you is not putting nearly a tenth of the work as you are, how do you deal with that? 
How do you move forward and excel? And what do you tell yourself moving forward on how you'll circumvent that? It's a really good question. And it's something that really took a toll on me in my you know early business career because For all sure. the people that are now sitting on my cap table and I'm generating revenues for these for the company building value they're not even there yeah like but you know when you wake up day to day and you have bills to pay and you have rents to pay and you have you know a company to build if your attention is focused on them you're going to to lose you're going to die you're You're going to run out of money for Mm -hmm. sure you know um we were spending our money on acquisition of apartments so we didn't have that much money in the bank you know at the end of the month the bank account goes to zero and hopefully it rises but you know, frankly, it, it, it hurt. I remember, you know, at the end of the day, I came to the realization that I don't have a choice. I made some decisions and I need to, to learn from them and I need to move forward. But um, it was definitely a lesson that, you know, I still hold with me. But it was it was tough. It was tough because I wanted those people. I wanted to feel like I was a part of something. Yeah. You know, sure. I had this vision and you were there in the beginning to get your deal cut. But all of a sudden now I just feel alone. Mm. So it was like I had to, I didn't have a choice. I had to move forward. Were you, were you happy doing this? Totally. I mean, I, I, despite, you know, the fact that maybe some people weren't there when I thought that they would, Mm -hmm. I was still my own boss. You know, I was still making a little bit of money. I wasn't working for anybody. You know, I could wake up and, and do my thing and I was passionate about it. You know, I was at that time, my first, you know, year and a half, two years of the business, I was putting in about, I don't know, maybe 80 hours a week, Yeah, but I loved it. It didn't feel like work. I was a hustler. I was just moving. Yeah. Cause I, I've, I've known some people that like, once you start your business, you have the idea and then you realize that it takes this amount of work and being like the, the founder of it where you're dealing with everything. Mm-hmm. Every, like from the the your bank account all the way down to the client, yeah, and every step of the way, um, you're like, wait, I I like the idea of the success of this, right. but I actually don't enjoy the work, and I think that's such an important thing of like when you're getting into starting your own business, it's fun to be led by the fantasy of the, of the success of like what it could be. Everything from the, the, the financial to the dream to the, you know, being your own boss, all these things that sound great before you actually get into it. Mm-hmm. And you're dealing with like way more than you, than you thought you could ever even yeah. get into. Yeah. I mean, I, I, was, I was learning in that process. And you're right. You know, I was handling the sales, the finance. I was doing it all. Yeah. You know, and, and <laughs> To, to be in a position to not have money and know that you need resource, you know, when do you hire versus scale? Like it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an art and it just really uh, took a lot of time and, and um, it's part of the process, you know? I mean, it's something that all the more reason to have good mentors around you that you can turn to, yeah. to look at your company from a macro level and advise you and push you in the right direction. And, yeah. you know, luckily I had that. So, you know, we were, we were, pedal to the metal you know we were opening up uh i think we probably hit maybe about 40 apartments um we reached a million dollars revenue our first year which you know a million dollars like man i thought that was like a ton of money we reached it quick but like that was the zone that i was in and mind you like you know i had a life you know i had a social life i had a girlfriend like 
you know, I was now living in downtown and my apartment was pretty, uh, pretty meager, you know, like, I mean, I had a, a mattress on the floor and no TV and the only reason <laughs> coming was from I, the interior designer. Yeah. Himself. yeah. You know, it's funny. Like you look at my place while I was building this, this, uh, this company and it was like, wow, like your flats are so much nicer than where you live. But like, <laughs> frankly, I would give away my box spring to a guest whose box spring broke or my TV. Like that's just what I had to do. I was very hands-on with my business yeah. and that was my life. I was dedicated to, to the vision and there was just no stopping me. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever find a detriment to the lack of balance that that sounded like? Or was it, like, how did you deal with that? Because there's one thing in going gung-ho and building a company. But at the same time, you're building this company based on the thought of providing somebody a semblance of home. Mm-hmm. Where for this dream, you're also degrading mm-hmm. the semblance of your own home. Mm-hmm. How did you deal with that dichotomy? And did that ever catch up to you? So at that time in my life, I had experienced, you know, some real success in business comparatively to, you know, the rest of my business career. Mm. But I think, you know, I was, I had my blinders on, I was so focused on, you know, the business. Um, But I started to realize, especially because, you know, I had a girlfriend at the time um, and she would tell me things like, dude, you sleep on a floor. Mm. You know, and <laughs> I started to, you know, and I remember I looked in the literally mirror, yeah. I sleep on the floor. I, I was I was doing well on the business side. But personally, you know, with respect to my relationships mm-hmm. with 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 my with my girlfriend, with my family and ultimately with myself, I was pretty lost. Mm-hmm. Like I, I actually vividly remember you know, thinking, wow, you're, you're young. You don't, you don't need to work out. You know, I started gaining weight and wow. looking in the mirror, you know, looking kind of chubby. And I remember I would look at myself and be like, I don't care. You know, I'm, I'm good. I got a business. I got a girl, <laughs> you know, I might sleep on the floor, but whatever. Like I don't need to work out and feel good, but mentally I was drained Ooh. at that point in my life. And, uh, the relationships, like I said, around me were really suffering. So, you know, to that regard, I was uh, a little bit empty. Mm. Um, and, and that idea of lifestyle, um, it was sort of that realization moment of looking in the mirror and realizing that, you know, I need to make a change. Mm. What was that change for you at that time? Because it's hard to figure it out. Like, yeah, there are the the instances of I may not be living an ideal aesthetically pleasing life but i'm doing it for this purpose there's that right there's the bootstrap mentality there's the we're gonna grind it out i'm gonna put all of my all of my earnings back into what i'm building and i know this is why i'm living you know uh i don't want to say meager but while at why i'm living well below my means to build something that's that's gonna blossom in the future mm-hmm. right do you think that it got to the point where it was just you were just so immersed in the tornado of starting your own business and and just seeing your vision come to light that you kind of forgot about that type of balance or that balance just didn't, didn't even exist because it's different, right? You know, I think that I I use this idea that 
I was doing this for us, mm. right? And when I say us, I'm talking about me and my girlfriend of almost three years at that time. Mm. You know, like I understand the life that I'm living on a personal level and that I can't spend, you know, the time that I want with you. And I told myself, you know, look, you're not spending time with your family, but you're doing this mm. and you're doing this because you have a vision to live a certain life and provide for your future family. I was so caught up in the moment that it was another moment of my life where I was, I lacked presence. Mm. You know, I, I was in the tornado and this is a trait that happens with many entrepreneurs. Um, and now being out of that tornado, I believe, cause you never really know, but I, I, I'm sure. a much more present person than I was back then. You know, I, I see this in the people around me, the people that I advise, the friends that I have, you can really get caught up in a vision and neglect the things that truly matter. So, you know, at that point in my life, um, I think that I had the realization, but I also had a, a hardcore excuse of why I wasn't ready to make that change. So it wasn't until life brought that change that I actually did. Mm. What brought about that change for you? And does so, that happen at, during that time or did that happen later? The change. So the first step that I wanted to make in order to be a bit more free from the craziness in the day to day of the business was one of, you know, and I had a couple of employees at the time and one of my employees was like, Hey, I want you to meet this guy who's staying with us. He really likes your business and you know, he wants to talk to you. Hmm. So I was like, for sure. Talk to this guy. Um, really successful, young entrepreneur sold Ooh. his first company for 30 million dollars <sighs> is traveling living the good life nice. drives a bentley wears a fifty thousand dollar watch this is a guy who um i respected not so much because of these things but because he's a businessman he's for again, sure you know one step above david in my eyes like this is someone that i want to be yeah so you know he's, started, wa he's walking it like he's talking it oh yeah i mean i I completely bought into it. I mean, this is, this is a good guy. He's a mm. good friend, you know? So step one was let's bring him on to the company. Let's start working with this guy. This is like my new business partner. Mm. It's my new co-founder. You know, the, the business at that point, you know, we're two years in, we're doing a couple million dollars a year. Um, things are good on the business side, on the life side, not so much, but step one to that change was bringing on more support, uh, to help me run the business. So uh, I started working with this dude and, uh, you know, I think that I was still conscious of the lifestyle that I was living. It mm -hmm. wasn't exactly what I wanted, mm -hmm. but, uh, I was still, you know, it's the thing is, is, you know, my definition of big, right. I used to think it was a million and then it was two and then it was a certain amount of units. I don't even know what big is till this day. I still don't know what big is as it relates to business, yeah. but this was the guy that was going to allow me to retire. He was the guy. What was it about him? Like to, to take me through that like courtship process and, and take me through what made him the co-founder you've always wanted. Cause that that's one thing that's been, been like very eminent in, I don't know if, if that's even the right word. Like sometimes sidebar, sometimes I just throw words that sound right regardless. But what made him that 
ideal picture of a co-founder to you that you've obviously have not had here, right? He's done it before. Mm, he's, yeah. he's already sold his business. He's exactly, I wanted to build a business to sell it, you know, and this was a guy that had already done it. Yeah. And he fell into my lap. He stayed with Urban Fly. He stayed with my company. Mm. He now lived he's it. right. He's living, you know, he moved into my building yeah. and we're developing a friendship. I mean, you know, I thought that it's important to kind of build a relationship with someone before you go ahead and hire them. But like, sure. this guy moved into my building. He was who I was hanging <laughs> with every single day. You know, we developed a really strong bond as friends. I mean, this was a brother to me. Oh, wow. Um, you know, and about six months in, you know, he was sort of consulting, if you will. He, uh, he became really sick. You know, he, he uh, unfortunately, you know, came down with um, something that, you know, the word that no one wants to hear. I'll, I'll leave it unnamed. Mm. But, uh, you know, became really sick. And, and in that moment, you know, it was a really uh, tough time for me. Because, you know, any one of my friends, anybody that I love that is potentially terminally ill, mm. you know, I'm going to, I'm a, I'm a giver. I'm going to take on You're their the big brother, bro. I'm the big brother, yeah. you know, and it's, it's all love. Like, I got you. Sure. Go do what you have to do. Get better, you know, and, and I'll be here. And yeah. this company will be here. Six months in, you know, you can really develop a strong friendship For with someone sure. hang with them every single day. For totally. sure. So, you know... Uh, once he, he got better, you know, he gave me the, uh, the pitch of why he should be the, the CEO of, of urban flat. You know, he was the guy that was going to help us become the billion dollar company that we're capable of. Wow. And I bought into that. I did. And frankly, you know, given the fact that, you know, I was living this relatively shitty lifestyle on the personal side. This was my escape. Sure. Now that I could put the reins and the ability for somebody else to take this company to a new level and I could take a step back. Yeah. Maybe Ooh. I could travel with the lady, you know, and travel the world and, you know, work remotely and, and, and have a little bit more free time. So I saw that as really my escape, not to mention I believed in this person to the fullest that he was going to execute, um, the things that he said and everything from raising money from the billionaire uncle. And it was the perfect, it fell into my lap. It was almost the God, God's gift for sure. In a business sense, because this was the guy. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I mean, I think that at that time, that's sort of when the, the relationship that I had with the person that I was with was pretty much at the end, mm. you know? So like I'm, I, it was too late. It was <sighs> too late. Um, and that's a person that I really loved and I cared for. Uh -huh. And, um, but I brought him on, you know, I brought him on. Mm. So you gave up the relationship and continued to, to bring this on and, and go for it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, it's, it's, uh, as far as the relationship, you know, I tried that. That's something that I guess looking back, it's, you know, sometimes you, you take things for granted. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it was only when that breakup occurred did my did I, for the first time in my life I, I felt pain. Mm. I felt pain because I lost something that I was so sure of. Yeah. And I took for granted. And I frankly, until age twenty five, I never really felt pain in my life. Mm. You know, people experience pain sometimes at a very young age and sometimes at an older age. For me, it was that moment. Mm. It was real pain. For sure. And it was like getting punched in the face and <sighs> waking up and realizing that like this life that you thought you were going to have was just stripped from you. Yeah. So 
looking back, I mean, it's a blessing, right? Everyone, we, we go through these moments in our life, whether, you know, that's through loss, through amazing success, through whatever it may be. But that moment for me was a real wake up call. And I remember one of the things that, you know, my ex used to tell me, especially being a young entrepreneur was like, you know, sure, you're here with my family, but you're not even really here. And I would mm. be like, what are you, I'm sitting at your living room table. How are you going to tell me that I'm not here? Mm. What are you talking about? Mind you, I had two phones, For sure. answering emails. She's telling me you're bullshit. not present. Yeah. She's telling me I'm not present, but I didn't understand what that meant because mm. it's like, I'm present. This is the table that I'm sitting I'm at. I'm physically present. I'm yeah. physically but present. I'm, I'm present. here. I'm sitting next to you. Yeah, exactly. But I didn't realize that until it was too late. But, I mean, it was the biggest wake-up call um, that I've ever had in my life. For sure. It's also timing, especially with relationships, right? In that, on one end, and I kind of take it back to, like, you can't love somebody unless you fully love yourself. Like, you can't love somebody the, the most unless you love yourself the most, Right. It's a, it's one of those things where naturally in relationships we, we, we grow with one another. We'd hope so, right? But sometimes the timing's off, mm-hmm. right? And as much as you love this girl in this moment and as much as you, you, like, that love may have been the purest, you also were in a whirlwind in terms of your business, mm-hmm. in terms of the rapid scale, in terms of the new somebody coming in, in terms of the ideas of what could be, Right. And there are decisions to be made. Right. Right. Because. And I think especially for young hustlers like ourselves, it's like if you compare two things and and it's not even as in your life, it's not even as though you were comparing them and what do you want one or the other. But when putting something apples to apples together, it's like, okay, cool. Incredible relationship is what I want. This company and building it is going to be the savior for everything. So like at the end of the day, your focus is going to be put on this one thing as opposed to going through life experiences and saying maybe a family and kids and something that supports this will come into play. But in this moment, it was your business. And in this youth of your like current living, your business and how you can maximize it is the savior for all other things. Family, Fortune, misfortune, anything that is necessary in life. My brothers, let me build this company and let me also have this, right? Is that the mentality you were in at that time? I had one vision, you know, and and I was determined. And it was a vision that was far out into the future mm. and that drove my decisions for today. And that was the big house and the family and the ability to be free and all of these things. So I think in that moment in my life, I realized that the balance was completely tipped, yeah. right? I had the the money, the, the 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 business success, but like I said, the time spent with family, the personal relationships uh, with friends were limited. You know, yeah. I, I just broke up with a girlfriend of four years. Like, it's, it's a long time, you know, and I, and I realized it was a real wake-up call, um, and I needed to make some major changes in my life. Hmm. So I ended up hiring um, my buddy, at the time to, to be the CEO. I moved out of downtown LA. Um, there was a moment, you know, in, in, in those first two years of the business, I was so uh, caught up in being involved in the day to day and needing to be on the ground and really control everything. 
So you know what? I'm going to move out of downtown where bulk of our inventory was, and I'm going to move to Venice. Mm. Moved to V-Town, close to the beach. Moved in with a buddy named Jordan Rosenheck. Great hey, guy. Incredible. You know though. the man. He's, yeah. he's a legend. Um, but, you know, moving to Venice kind of helped me, you know, develop a, a new friend group. Jordan um, and our other roommate, Justin, kind of got me through really a difficult time in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if you've never experienced such pain in your life and you feel it for the first time, it's real. Yeah, you know, sure. I, I've always been a relatively happy person, but like I never felt heartache like that. Ugh. You know, and it wasn't so much heartache necessarily just from the fact that I was going through a breakup. It was like this reality check on life. Like, yeah. dude, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, do you really need to, you know, it's just a, it was a real wake up call for me. But moving to Venice, um, you know, I was exposed to things that I was never um, exposed to in my life. You know, meditation being one. Jordan mm-hmm. was like, maybe you should meditate with me. And I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. You know, and meditation till this day is something that has completely transformed my life. Um, it's so important, you know, from that moment on, especially, but forever to be completely present and conscious of what you're in. I hope that I never find myself in a situation where the blinders are on and I'm in such a tornado of trying to achieve one thing that I lose touch with the reality of what is and the people around me. Yeah, sure. So, you know, meditation by way of Venice and, and Jordan um, changed my life. That's wild. Allowed me to find the present. How do you deal with that? Like, because the, I guess the, the, natural thought in, in running your own business and just, I think how we've defined entrepreneurism. Um, it's just like that hustle, that grind, that no sleep, just like such wild, um, and aggressive. Like you have to do this if you want to like crush your dreams, you know, um, in terms of of what you want to succeed at. But then you do it and you take on this kind of persona and you go, 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 go. You get caught up in this tornado and you realize like, wait, it, that's this isn't the only way to do this. For sure. What is the way to really do this? Just from like your experience going through it. Um, just in terms of like, like I said, the, the world of entrepreneurship is, is and, and what we see online, it's so much of that like. Right fucking grind super hard and that's that is real you know there is that element but for what though totally i mean i think that the the most important thing is you right your well-being your mental health your physical health Mm. it starts with you and what i did was i leveraged my ability to be a hard worker you know, my ability to, to jump into this tornado, mm-hmm. but I wasn't taking care of myself. And by not loving myself or taking care of myself, mm-hmm. it was affecting the relationships around me. So the first thing that I did, you know, obviously from that experience and moving into Venice and, you know, starting to meditate and be involved with a different type of individual in my life was, okay, maybe this whole mentality of you don't have to work out and it's okay to, you know, be come overweight and eat whatever you want and dessert every meal, all the things that I was doing back then, it was like, maybe you should start taking care of yourself, Hmm. you know, and, and through meditation and through getting back and and becoming a a more physical person, you know, hitting the gym, taking runs with Jordan and, and Venice, 
you know, I, I realized, wow, like I forget, like I'm 24 years old. I feel okay. Despite the, the diet that I have and the, the consumption and the alcohol and all the things that I'm doing at my life, you know, in my life at that time, there's a, a level to how good you can feel. Hmm. And if you actively focus on taking care of your body and your mind, it feels great to treat your body well. Yeah. And, and, you know, like I said, you're young, healthy, but like I started to, you know, I think everyone sort of experiences this around mid twenties where it's like, damn, you kind of like feel old, you know, like you're not as flexible as you once were. You don't, you know, heal as quickly. Like For sure. things change. So I started taking care of my, my body a lot more and, you know, obviously the business was still running, but there was, there was, I was beginning, um, to become, uh, I was much more present and I was much more focused on myself and my well-being first, you know, I mean, I remember one of the first things that I did was like, Hey, I'm going to design my room in Venice the way that I would design an urban flat. No more sleeping, you know, with a mattress on the floor yeah. and living like a bum, yeah. with like two cups and like drinking out of a red cup every night. Mm. Like I'm going to make this place dope and like create a vibe. You know, these Venice like hippies, they're all about the vibe. For sure. So like I created a vibe for myself <clears throat> until this day. I'll never, you know, people, people walk into my room and they're like, yeah, it's a vibe. It's a vibe. Because you know, like the way that you treat yourself is, is also, you know, like the way that you live. Yeah. Right. So I became sort of obsessed with this concept of becoming a better person and becoming more physically fit and feeding my brain, you know, material, whether that's podcasts or books or meditation, just things that would make me feel good. And it completely transformed my life mm, Incredible. at a time that I desperately needed it. Incredible. Yeah. During this time with the ultimate focus being put on yourself and you, you've, allowed yourself to break free from the day-to-day of your company no totally yeah. i mean i had a ceo who was a uh, responsible for running the company and my job was to listen to him mm. how did that how did that play out so i mean the first thing that i you know wanted to do with that free time Right, especially being separated from downtown LA, sure. now only going to downtown LA maybe two times a week was, I will be at his direction, and I'm going to live my life. My life is beginning for me at this moment. Sure. I'm starting to kind of move beyond the stage of being at a, a low, relatively in my life. I was still very fortunate, and things that you know got me through that tough time were just realizing how fortunate I was. Yeah, family, growing up in LA, I live in Venice. Life is good. I got great friends. Um, but you know, I, I definitely wanted to get back to that freedom that I felt that day in Barcelona. So I'm like, look, I can work wherever. We didn't even have an office back then, yeah. you know? So why not work from like Italy? You're <laughs> like, you know, so yeah. I started taking care of myself and started booking some trips. You know, I had a friend that was like, Hey, like we're going to Corsica and France, you know, or Italy, wherever the fuck that is. I don't even know. Some island. <laughs> yeah. We're in between, in between. And I was like, yeah, I'm down. You know, and I had a little bit of money saved up and uh, I started traveling and watching the business from wherever I was in the world. How was that for you? Because like, I feel like now in this moment for you, right, it's something that took so much out of you 
but life happens and you start to like evaluate things where you let yourself have a little more freedom and then you started giving yourself that semblance like i feel like when i'm listening to this i feel like you're walking towards a direction where you know a beach of that nature that was like in your first view of what freedom was exists mm -hmm. right and you're literally instead of being cautious in your approach to that water right. you're just walking now right? yeah i mean when, when i was out there for example in in corsica you know it was it was a similar experience to barcelona only i had work to do i had work to accomplish but as long as i accomplished what i needed to do in terms of my responsibility to the business i could work from anywhere in the world sure, yeah. sure. so i proved to myself wow whether you're traveling, you know, if you're traveling outside of LA, get the job done. Yeah. Um, so I learned something in that moment and I didn't want to let go of that. And, yeah. I, and, and that's sort of when the, the travel bug, you know, got back in me. Yeah. yeah. I love that. So I was, I was able to, to work anywhere, watch the company, let the person that I hired to be the CEO, um, you know, do his thing. And, you know, Things were a little rough in the beginning. Um, I mean, he uh, he helped scale the company and, and made some very erratic moves with, with the finances to, to grow quick. We moved business operations up to the Silicon Valley, um, opened a lot of apartments. They were furnished in a way that I had never, you know, I was more about kind of the small brand organic one by one bootstrap. Like he would go out and like take all of the company money you know, I'm talking down to the last dollar onto our credit cards. In fact, at one point we racked up like $115,000 on a fucking credit card. Damn, wow. Which is ridiculous, you know, with the interest rates that we were paying. Yeah. But like he put it on a credit card and we just opened a ton of apartments. So revenue skyrocketed. You know, we probably hit 4 million bucks. So I'm sitting here in Corsica running a $4 million business. Sure. But frankly, the way that it was executed was without any foundation with without enough thought it was a very erratic airbnb pop-up operation if you will right. For sure. so i'm dealing with customers showing up to apartments that are 30 percent furnished and they're oh, like wow well, it was it was a big pain and you know the reality is that a lot of the bulk of that came onto my shoulders sure. because i was the one bringing in the revenue like yeah. in terms of the sales and that's sort of where my position was bringing yeah, the sure. sales keep these apartments full he's going to keep opening it and do his thing so that was tough. I mean, I dealt with some tough situations. It was not, it was not, it was not comfortable either because it's not the way that I would be running the company if I was CEO. Yeah. How, how does that feel? Like, since it's, this was your idea to begin with, like it, it's your baby, you yeah. know, and you, to build it, to get it to that point, you did all the, you, you went from, you know, unit one mm -hmm. all the way to now. And then to give up, kind of relinquish that power. Mm -hmm. I know there's a, a, a bigger picture of like, okay, the, this guy knows business on a, maybe a different right. level or he's done this. I want to get it there, but you lose some of the culture. You lose some of you that's in it. And that's when I was going back to like earlier when I was saying you can build a company and think about, I'm just going to build this and sell it and try to separate yourself. But when it's your baby right. and you, you give that up, it's not, it's not always so great. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the, the biggest mistake that I ever made in my business career was having a vision and giving it to somebody else for them to do whatever they wanted to do. In fact, they didn't really have a true vision. Sure. They did. I didn't even understand it. So the feeling is, is pure uncomfort, right? It's, Ugh. it's, 
you know, it, it's one thing if all, you know, if things are running smoothly and someone's executing a plan that is flawless and customer service. We're in the hospitality business. For right? sure. For those, you know, that don't know, Urban Flat helps residential apartment buildings convert their vacant inventory into short and long-term housing. And then we, you know, our brand focuses on business travelers and athletes and we pride ourselves on very well furnished apartments that have all the amenities of home but like these apartments like I said look like a 10 year old furnished them it's nothing that I would have ever done but I was dealing with the repercussions of my decision and it was very uncomfortable Um, and it's it's you as a person too for sure my my name is on the line Yeah, my name is on the profile like people are coming complaining to you it's like Evan Haskell's an asshole I also think like Like, this is very interesting timing like unique i i feel like everything is coming at one in like the in 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 just like a a meteor hitting the earth type of way right because what you're seeing here is you're finally able to relinquish control but that's coming from a sense of wanting to really go like understand yourself this is like a, a a adjustment of self if you will right you come and you find somebody that's been proven. This is one of those things for like any entrepreneur person getting in business or somebody just like having a dream, vision, or an idea. Like this is a cataclysmic scenario happening all at once, but it's like sinister timing in in this standpoint from the looking at it at that moment. But it blossoms, right? And and there's a beauty in that. But like listening to that and just kind of speaking to anybody that's hearing this, that there's a semblance of a tie-in to somebody's story. I feel like this is also happening at a very fucking pivotal point. Because what we're talking about here is you found somebody that you trusted enough to say, okay, you get it. You're also somebody that's done it before. This is a time where I'm going to take a step back of my baby because what you're telling me is something that I can stand by. It's obviously going to take execution, but the pedigree you have and what we're thinking for the future, great, let's do this. This is also a moment where I can step back and start building me so that my longer game vision of this business becomes executed from a different standpoint. If you think about, you know, that that moment in my life, right? For it sure. went from the first two years of being all about business and completely failing on the personal life. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, to the complete opposite where I'm living life. I'm in, yes. you know, in, in Europe, you know, sipping Pinot Grigio yeah. with my best friends, working remotely. For sure. Feeling good. Yeah. Meditating. Yeah. Going to the gym, all these things. And my business is back home dying failing money is not going in the right direction exactly and that's scary so so i mean the the seesaw completely tipped yep and you know i had to do something about it it's a tale of what balance is completely but you gotta find it you gotta find it you gotta experience it right how do you know what balance is exactly experience both sides somebody looking for balance isn't at a scale like just no 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 fully balanced at all times right there was a brilliance in that once you started realizing as much freedom as you could have had that your visions were way less aligned than you had thought, even polar opposite, as a young founder that's given reins to a CEO, 
what's that process for you like of corralling it back in? And also, what was the damage done? Well, I mean, I would say about the the, the, the biggest problem at that time was the, the lack of communication. Mm. Uh, this is a person who I couldn't get on the phone. You know, you call the guy, he wouldn't pick up. And that's not cool. Like, yeah. dude, I hired you. You know, like, we're in this together. I'm busting my ass. Where are you? Yeah. You know, starting to, to pay attention to the company credit cards and see that, you know, wow, a year went by and $30,000 was spent on corporate travel. For what? Who are you meeting with? Where are the, you know, it was, it was this constant loop of stay in your position, stay in your lane, let me do my thing. Yeah. And it made me uncomfortable. Yeah. And frankly, if that was to happen today, it would be over real quick. For sure. But I, I believed in this person and I fell for the things that this person was saying. For sure. So, you know, I knew that that cycle could not continue. I have to do something about it. And mind you, I'm still traveling quite a bit and, right. and I would come back home and work, but you know, it was really uh it was really a matter of coming to the understanding that listen, this business partner relationship isn't working and it needs to end now. Mm. For sure. So, you know, although the company revenues are are high, um either you're going to buy me out or I'm going to buy you out. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do? Mm. Said, "All right, I want to, you know, I'm going to buy you out." So, all right, you got 30 days to do it. We get our lawyers to draft some agreements. I see a wire hit our bank account maybe 15 days into this agreement. I'm like, what is this? Like, who who's wiring us, you know, 100 plus thousand dollars? This is weird. And then the next day, the wire goes right back out hmm. to to his name. And I'm like, this is this is just, this is not good. So, you know, that's when, you know, I, I used my attorneys and, you know, people to basically look at, kind of the the emails we were the yeah, administrator yeah, yeah. and that's just when the, the the truth and the reality of who this person was came out oh wow you know this person that i met who i believed was a young successful entrepreneur it turned out to just be a lie mm. wow straight up the facts are the facts you know i don't I prefer to not expose For know, sure. some of the sure, yeah. intricate details of this, but the reality is, is that when you have facts, you have facts. Yeah. Absolutely. And when you're dealing with somebody who is a pathological liar and you fall for it, it's the same concept of getting caught in a tornado and having blinders. I was so trusting. I had never, I, growing up, I only hang around real people. Yeah. For sure. I never met somebody who is fake. This guy never sold a thirty million dollar company, because once he got terminated from from our company, the kind of the the world collapsed around this person. All yeah. these quote unquote friends, right? We're like, wait, what? He told you that he did this, but he told me that he told me otherwise, and like suddenly we realized that this was all a big illusion. Wow! And it was a huge, huge wake up call for me. Wow. Um. It, but at the same time, I had a company to save. You know? So we were hurting. And, you know, we didn't necessarily have money to go, like, hire an attorney and figure this all out. We This is my, comp- my, my parents' money in this business. And, you know, another investor. And, frankly, I inherited a pile of crap that, you know, I really had. It, it took me a while. Like, I continued to travel once this person was out of the business and clear my head and spent a lot of time alone. Mm. Um, 
and really enjoyed life. You know, like I kept it running and I came up with an action plan to enhance the business and bring it back aligned. You know, it's like if you have, you know, say 80 apartments that are furnished like a piece of shit, what do you do? You fix them all up to the way that the quality that you want it For to be. Sure. Yep. So like that was step number one. And in order to execute that plan, it didn't have to necessarily be on the ground. I needed to, you know, all that time traveling abroad, a skill set that I was actually learning was how to manage people remotely. Yeah. Um, you know, how do you communicate with them? How do you assign tasks? You know, and I, I got used to this lifestyle of travel, you know, and you know, taking back the company, I had to stabilize it. Um, and, and we were fortunate enough to bring it to a, a pretty good place. But, you know, that experience in my life, at least in my business career, you know, is one that uh, it taught me a lot more about life than it did business. You know, and that's like you can't fall for illusions. You can't just trust anybody. Mm, for sure. So I started living life differently. And what I realized is that some of the people that were close to me on a business level were just as fake as this person. Mm. And it, it took me, uh, you know, a, a really traumatic experience, a, a lot of lost money um, to come to this realization. Um, you know, and, and like I said, I didn't have time to hold any grudges mm. or I had to stabilize the business and move forward. For sure. That's all I did. It didn't even affect me, but it was a pretty traumatic experience for sure. But I just didn't have time to take it in. Yeah. What did that, or how did that make you view your business moving forward? And I say that from the standpoint of vision-wise, right? There's a reason why you want it to be much more of a semblance than uh, or a piece of home for people, right? There's one thing in being able to scale tremendously and just open units, but they could be cookie cutter furniture, yeah. right? There's a, there's a level of, of touch to the success of a business that it takes to have an actual empathy or a feel for a customer and learning how to scale that is really where the art comes in. How did you start reviewing your company and also realigning your views after that? Because this is a moment where you could have lost it all, mm -hmm. right? Did did that did having that happen change your approach and change how you viewed not only your company at its current point or but where you wanted to take it? Yeah, I mean, I think that I, the most important thing was to to remember what that vision was, mm. right? Where what, what did you envision on day one? And the fact is, is that although this company was a little bit different in terms of the way that it's been executed for the past year and a half, for my sure. vision hasn't changed. It's the same thing. Mm. So it was important for me to take the business and realign it with the vision that I had and all of those experiences that I had with pissed off customers that were basically getting screwed over because of somebody's actions and I had to deal with them like I didn't want to feel that yeah so like you know we're in a customer service based business you know customer service and the way that we treat people the way that we make them feel on an individual basis is the key to our success mm -hmm. for sure so just having the ability to now control 
you know, my destiny, not only in life, because now I know how to live life. I know how to travel and work remotely and manage people remotely and be on the ground and interact with people. And, and I also know how to run a business. Yeah. Frankly, I learned a lot from that person who was a, you know, not necessarily a good person as it relates to the success of the business, but like I learned a lot from that person, for sure. you know, and now it was like my opportunity in life to really find true balance. I know what balance is now, mm. right. From this uh, experience. So yeah, I mean, it was, it was a matter of working to, to stabilize the business and get it on path with the vision that I had. And, you know, we were able to um, turn the whole thing around and That's incredible. continue to grow. And, you know, through the skill set that I built of managing people remotely, you know, I've been able to continue to travel the world, take a ton of trips. I mean, I've for the past two and a half years, I've been in L.A. for two weeks out of the month. And oh, then, wow. you know, another two weeks wherever, New York, Miami, Mammoth. I'm, I'm a free person. But frankly, it's not just me. It's my entire team. That's the company culture that we have. I love that. It's a get the job done type of culture and do it from wherever you want, explore and experience life. Yeah. Um, some of the, the most fulfilling, you know, I'm not money is, is, is good, but it's like, it does not buy you happiness yep. at it all buys you some freedom. Cause you, especially if you want to live a life of traveling and eating at nice restaurants, I know what I like, but you know, what's truly fulfilling, you know, aside from the, the customers, you know, feeling and sharing their experiences by staying with us is, the fact that now, you know, leading a team of, of 15 and taking them on team retreats, we, we went to, to Lake Tahoe as a team mm. and, you know, rented a beautiful house and got to spend time together. We did a team meditation, you know, we Incredible. actually, uh, three of my, um, executive team, we, we went to, uh, to Israel and into London for wow. two weeks. We just got back. You know, to to and, and by the way, I work with my cousin now. I, I brought on my cousin. Nice. He's uh, awesome. twenty two, um, and he's just his name's Coburn, which is my dad's name. He's an amazing person. But you know, this is what it's about. I, I realize that it's not so much about you know the the luxuries and all of these, the fancy watch and all of these things. It's not that important. You know, it's 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 really about this journey and enjoying it and living in the moment. Because yeah, frankly, sure. I will continue to grow my business. I will continue to work hard, but I will also continue to live life to the fullest. Would you say it's a, about the experiences? The experiences in, in what sense? In this journey. Absolutely. I mean, for me personally, you know, I'm a human. I'm made up of senses. And the way that I live my life is to bring out the best of each of those senses, Absolutely. I love that. Tastes yeah. with food, you know, or the, the ocean breeze on my face. Like, mm. I really enjoy the present. I'm such a, uh, I'm a tremendously more present person than I was in my early 20s. I feel like life didn't even begin for me until I was post first breakup, 24 years old. And mm. since that day, it's like the years just, every year is better than the last. And despite the fact that I'm traveling, you know, the, the income has, has constantly gone up as well. But that's just because of the culture that I've built and the vision that I have. And I have pretty good balance in my life yeah. right now. And I, and I take care of myself. That's the most important thing is you. You're For the sure. driver in your business, in your life, in your relationships. So the way that you treat yourself is ultimately going to reflect on, you know, the people around you. 
100%. Beautifully said, man. Mic drop. For real. Yeah. Facts. For real. Yo, this has been incredible, man. It's a journey. It's a journey. It's a beautiful one. Yeah. Trials, tribulations. You know what the most beautiful part about this for me is? Is that we came to a culmination of understanding and finding balance. Yeah. It's something that, that's been the theme of searching for it. Even when it, when the search was implicit, right? There was always a lack of balance mm-hmm. one way or another, right? And then when it finally came to in a moment of extreme vulnerability and chaos at the same time, that moment, the now or never, if you will, right? What stemmed from that was finding what we've always been looking for. And naturally your balance is going to change, but the beautiful arc right now in this point of your journey, which is why I'll scream, mama, to the day that I die, right, is moments like these. Mama, we made it is a moment where at one point in somebody's early life, you still have so far to go, is being able to, within themselves, tell themselves that there was a moment where I found balance. Mm. That scale is always going to tip in one way or another, but to aspire towards that and be able to find that and also continue in your pursuits, Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful thing. It is. And only only through, you know, conversations like this do I really look back and realize that sure. you know, every event that it takes place in your life is ultimately to to, to find that balance. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We've kind of gone through the journey tonight. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's it's a pretty powerful thing. And, you know, I I understand now when things are off balance mm-hmm. and I'm able to compensate when I need to. And I think that ultimately that 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 balance is that same calm and peace that I found in, in Barcelona that one day, mm, you know, on for the beach. Sure. Um, you can have the success in business and, and, and live a great life and, and do it simultaneously. And I think that that's just a, a life, life philosophy that I'll always you know carry with me. I love that. And I wish you that forever. Yeah, man. I wish that for you, too, man. It's love. love. This has been incredible. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Thank no, you, Mama. Thank you, man. Yeah, it's truly really incredible. incredible. Yeah, for real. And now we hug, big time. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and now we hug. Thank you, man. Yes, sir. <laughs>